Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Lines open at one 104 106 I'll come back to all of the other stories in the papers this morning, but I just want to start with uh, the uh, news yesterday from the High Court. Uh, the headline in this morning's Echo, Sophie family dismay um, and also the examiner leads with it on their front page many of the tabloids carry it in the red tops and this morning the Irish Daily Mail says uh, Ian Bailey will not be extradited to France he survived a third attempt by the French authorities to extradite him for the murder of Sophie Toscan de Plantier he was convicted last year in France in absentia he wasn't there uh, for the murder of Sophie Toscan de Plantier in West Cork back in 1996. So um, I will come back to everything else this morning. I want to stay with that and talk to Ian Bailey's solicitor, Frank Buttermer, and I want to do it now because I want to respect other media as well who also want to talk to Frank Buttermer. Uh, so I'll plough on. Frank, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Is this the end of the road now uh, in, in the sense this this is the third European arrest warrant to be knocked back? Is Is this the end of it? Uh, well, I would hope it is. Um, that's a matter for the Minister for Justice. Uh, you'd have to contact the Minister's office to see what their reaction is to it. Uh, they have been given a direction or directive by the High Court to, to correspond with us in the next seven days in the event of certain decisions that they might want to make. I would like to say, however, that the, you know, that yesterday's High Court decision is a very, very strong decision. And it uh, really, in a, in a cast iron way, I would have thought, affirms all of the arguments of a legal nature that we've been making over the years in the preceding Supreme Court case, in the High Court case 2017. And again, you know, in the decision yesterday, the, the, the view is clearly and definitively that there, there are not any valid grounds for extradition. I mean, I do keep on saying, Neil, that all of this is being done in our name. The Minister for Justice is our Minister for Justice. The Minister continues to make these applications in circumstances where, with respect, I would have thought that it was manifestly obvious that there are not reasonable grounds to extradite. You know, having regard to the unique circumstances of this particular case, I don't have to go through the history of what Ian Bailey has had to deal with over the years. I'll come back to that, but it's worth reminding people that this is the Department of Justice who are taking these actions, right? Not the French. Correct. The, the, I mean, let's, let's, I, mean I, do, I, I do concede that the European arrest warrant process as a kind of a concept between nations is a very valid system of dealing with international affairs between nations. It's built upon the mutual respect that we should have amongst each other in terms of our you know, differing legal systems, and that's perfectly fine. But in all other respects, then, the unique circumstances of this case are so, you know, kind of extraordinary that you have to step back and say well look what is going on here and what's going on here I have always said in terms of the French desire to pursue Ian Bailey is just a reflection of what I think is an injustice that's been visited upon him this country has long long since determined and rightly so that Ian Bailey has got no case to answer Mm -hmm. that determination existed as far back as 1997 it was affirmed throughout many, many periods of review of the case thereafter, right up to 2008, when it was definitively decided, after 11 years of attempts, shall we say, against him, it was definitively decided that he was not going to be prosecuted here. Interestingly, the French had been shadowing all of this since, believe it or not, 1997, by initiating a criminal process over there. They kicked off an extradition procedure in 2008, mm 
culminating in Ian's arrest in 2010, and the Supreme Court rejected that, if you like, process as far back as 2012. And since then, as I said yesterday, they've, they've been coming after him in waves. I mean, you're trying to resist all of this, uh, you know, like the idea, for example, that, it, that, he, that there was a trial in France last year. It's just like nonsense. You referred to that at the time as a show trial. Is that, do you mean guilty before the off even? Absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, the, the whole idea that there was any kind of a fair procedure applied to that process, it's, it's just nonsense. It was a paper exercise where, if I might say, previously discredited material was read into the record and accepted as if it was actual evidence without scrutiny. No witnesses were called. You know, psychiatrists giving opinions about Ian Bailey, who had never met him, who had just you know, like done almost like these television assessments of him, admitted as evidence. It, it, like, the, the people out there probably realize this, but this was not a trial by any of the standards that we would have, you know, applied to actual criminal trials. I mean, our DPP, initially Eamon Barnes and subsequently James Hamilton, both, I have to say, shredded the police evidence upon which subsequently the French chose to rely without scrutiny in terms of their so-called criminal process. Now, that's fine insofar as they're concerned out there. And, you know, they then come along, having tried him in absentia, but in, interestingly and illogically having attempted to remove him twice for the very same trial proceedings, which they then decided, sure, look, we'll go ahead and try him anyway in his absence, as if they couldn't have done that all along sort of thing. And then they come along and say, well, now we've tried him. You know, we've given him a, <laughs> we've given him a fair crack of the whip. Can you send him out to hang him? Yeah. And I mean, yeah. that's the reality of what he has had to deal with. And can I ask you, how is, how is he feeling? Like, like, how was he yesterday? Was he nervous? Did he accept yesterday before that there was a chance that he might be going to prison in France? Of course there was. I mean, you, you never, like Ian, has, he doesn't have a night's sleep or this thing isn't in his mind. Like going up, well, he went up on Sunday night, but going up, uh, like, or whatever, but uh, today is, yeah, he went up Sunday night. I mean, going up there, he did not know. We don't know what he, I mean, we were sitting there for 20 minutes into the judgment yesterday before Ian realized that he was going to avoid, you know, extradition on the first of the grounds that he raised. And then the judge, the judge was, a, like, the judgment took about an hour and 20 minutes or so to deliver. It was an extensive review. Now, what was his reaction so. to it? Can you share any of that? Relief, absolute relief. I mean, like, you know, Neil, this has been, like, Ian Bailey was 39 when this crime was committed. It had nothing to do with the crime. He's now 63. From 39 to 63, this has been his life. So, like, he goes up on Sunday night. He's going to be in court on Monday afternoon. He does not know the result. He was, you know, optimistic without being necessarily confident, is what I was saying. Mm. But, but, like, when you, when you then sort of step back and look at it objectively, you know, having regard to the arguments that one raises on behalf of Ian Bailey, you know, prepared by ourselves and the senior counsel and all the thought that goes into it, and the judge then, if you like, vindicates your argument in the way that he did in the judgment, you would say, well, look, we got it right. But, like, until you hear it being said, you just don't know. So there's I mean, relief. But is he, is he angry? Is he, is he bitter? He actually, rather peculiarly, he doesn't do bitter. I mean, he, he would be entitled to be bitter. But he just he's not like that. I mean, what he's like is a man who has almost got the dual persona of 
Ian Bailey, the person who's associated with this sort of, you know, crime wrongly at a public level. That's what we see. Then there's the private Ian Bailey who tries to have a life, who tries to put that stuff to one side and who tries to live to some degree of normality, which is really, really difficult to achieve. And that normality, that in the, in the past, for, for many years now, that has involved never being able to leave Ireland, am I right? Absolutely. I was, you know, it's a very good question. Neil, uh, or sorry, Ian Bailey has been in lockdown. You know, like, we, we all have an idea of what lockdown is like now, to the extent that we all have to deal with, you know, COVID-19 yes. and so on. His life has been locked down, well, one could certainly say since, you know, at least the French started cracking on with their interest in him in 2008 and got a European arrest warrant. He's been a prisoner in Ireland since 2008. But in real terms, he has been in a kind of a mental lockdown since he was wrongly fingered for the crime in, you know, the beginning of, well, I would say late 1996, early 1997. I mean, that's 23 years plus of lockdown in a mental fashion. Where, where, and if you remember at the start, uh, Neil, like the dogs on the street knew that he did it, as it were. You know, if you remember all those years ago. Well, what what I remember was the, the these these alleged confessions that he made to different people. I mean, his mouth didn't help him back then. It didn't, and I, I would grant you that, uh, Neil. He has not necessarily always performed a blinder. You know, when he's been speaking about his non-association with the crime, yes, yeah, and he did give. You know, certain entities, media, guards, public, a stick with which to beat himself. But thanks be to goodness, you know, as early as the famous dossier that was produced in 2001, 19 years ago now, which is the DPP critique of the police evidence, the DPP rightly identified that so-called, you know, confession nonsense as, as black humor. Yes. And it was no more than that. Yes. But of course, it became another stick with which he might be beaten because he just didn't realize how seriously words can be treated. So if he were to leave Ireland now, even for a trip to the UK, would he, would he be extradited to France from the UK, do you think? I mean, is he, is he trapped here? Okay, well, more to the point, would he be arrested upon entry to the UK? Now, we got this Brexit business looming, and I'm not really quite sure how that's going to pan out in terms of the great picture. But right now, today, if he were to go to the UK, his home country, <clears throat> he'd be arrested upon entry. The European arrest warrant system would trigger his arrest. He would be brought immediately to court in custody. He would then have to resist the application that the French would inevitably pursue in the UK to remove him from the UK to France for the same rigmarole. And it's a completely open to abuse process, by the way. You can defeat the EAW extradition process in one country. You have a sanctuary, therefore, in that country. But you have no sanctuary in any other country, and of the various 20-odd you know, countries which participate in the EAW mm-hmm. system, in every country, the same thing can happen. You've got to defeat it everywhere. But why, do, does he ever dwell on the point that before European arrest warrants were, be, were being issued, that he should have left Ireland, gone somewhere else, and started a new life? I mean, why did he stay around? Because he happens to like the country, for a start. He moved to the country. Um, strange as that might sound because what we have done to that guy <laughs> in our name is just very hard to you know, to swallow and the other you- thing is you know, you, you're not going to run because you know, it is 
alleged against him in some quarters that he committed this crime. No, I'm oh, saying because of the charged. persecution that he's put up with yeah. down through the years. Well, you know, that persecution might have followed him to other countries as well. Okay. Yeah. And may I also say, by the way, that as a result of, you know, recent events and things that he managed to establish in proceedings he took himself and challenges that he mounted, what would have been a, a kind of a, a view against him in many ways way back in the early days has become quite the opposite now and that there is this kind of degree of under actually acceptance that what we have done to him as a human being has been, you know, shameful in many ways. Uh, and, and, and there's, there's a, been... There, there's, there is a very good feeling out there towards him that, yeah, he's a, he's another victim of this appalling crime. And there's been a renewed interest of late. I wonder why. You know, as regards to there was the West Cork podcast, mm-hmm. did some work there with Jim Sheridan for his documentary, I'm sure you did as well. And there's, and there's Netflix. Why is there such a renewed interest over the last couple of years? That's a very good question. I mean, the whole thing is a dreadful tragedy. I mean, let's, let's not lose sight of that as well. It's an unsolved crime. I mean, Neil, the other illogicality about the entire situation arising from your question, in Ireland, this is an unsolved crime. There's an open police file. If you contact the police with information today concerning the unlawful killing of Madame Toscan de Plantier, the police will take it, they'll process it, they'll look into it, they'll investigate it, and treat it as, as an open police investigation should treat it. Now, what does that say about the police recognition and therefore the Irish state recognition of you know, the so-called conviction in France? Like, if you, if, you, if you look at the logic of this, on the one hand, our Minister for Justice is seeking to apply to the court to remove Ian Bailey to France to face you know, a penalty of 25 years in jail for their conviction for the murder. Meanwhile, in this very same country, here, we regard this as an open, unsolved crime. The illogicality of it is stunning. But do you have a, I mean, firstly, do you think anyone will ever then be charged with a murder? I mean, you may not be able to share it with us, but do you have your own theory as to what happened to Sophie? I have two or three theories, Neil, but I'll tell you, to share with you, let us say, for example, that it, that it emerged that this was, let us say, a French national. And that credible evidence came through, however that might be, as to a connection between a French national and um, this crime. And we go along to the French and we say, we have, you know, uh, information, we have some evidence, we have something that will now allow us to carry out a further investigation, possibly leading to a prosecution. I wonder what the French would say to us now. Yeah. Yeah. Would they say, well, that's fine, guys. You know, thank you for giving us over your police file in its entirety in 2008, by the way. We have our man. We don't need you guys anymore. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, how awful would that be if there was credible evidence to link it with a French national okay. or a and, and resident in France? I mean, it's just, look, you know, I, 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 Neil, you asked me why is there such interest in this case. It's an extraordinary tale. It's a, it's a devastatingly sad situation for the family, who have been relentless, by the way, on the other hand, in their pursuit of Ian Bailey, wrongly, I would say, so one always has to be respectful on the one hand, but on the other hand saying, you've got the wrong guy. But the interest is understandable in the sense that even on a, even on a criminolo- criminological basis, who did it, what was going on, and all that stuff that's of human interest. And of course... Younger generations, Neil, have become interested in it in a way that we wouldn't be because we lived with it over the past 24 years. Yes. 
younger people are coming into it now and saying, my God, what, what, you know, what, what, what's, what's this all this about? about? Sophie's family isn't going anywhere. You, you acknowledge that. Her son is set on getting justice. Uh, I don't see him nor the family going away anytime soon. Um, how much do you think this has cost the state? That's a really good question. I don't know. I mean, leave aside all the, the moral idea of pursuing somebody where your own police force don't recognize the conviction. I mean, I'd say if you looked at the police investigation, all the things that happened over the years, it's millions. It's, it's a question that you'd want to pose really to the minister's office. But all of the court proceedings and everything will be added to that, wouldn't they, to that bill? Yeah, the, the extradition application is costing the, the state money. Uh, yeah, I, 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 can I tell you that when the whole thing finishes? Certainly, certainly um, millions and millions of euro. But well, maybe I, in the... I, pr- I maybe. It might not be that much, but the, the extradition procedures are whatever they are. It's just one element of it. But yeah, you're right, Neil. Extradition is costing the state money, and there you go. And did Ian Bailey studied law, Frank. Do you, do you know, is he practicing law? No. No, okay. No, you have to be, you have to do other kinds of exams to do that. Okay, and, and are you expecting an appeal? I'm not ruling it out, Neil, because the minister has been, or the minister's office over the years has been relentless, so we got to face up to it. I would suggest as a citizen that they shouldn't, because I would say that, it, you know, when do you leave somebody alone? But we got to deal with it as it comes. Thanks for taking the call. As always, I'll let you get on. You've other media to do. Thank, Thank you. you, as always. Frank Bottomer, Ian Bailey's solicitor. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Text 0868104106. Now pick up on all of the other uh, stories in the newspapers after these. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Other stories this morning include, of course, today's uh, budget. They're talking about a 17 billion euro COVID giveaway and all of the papers are speculating as to, uh, you know, all you need to know with regards to what's going to be announced and what's going to happen. Plans to deliver substantial payments to broke publicans is one thing, but fuel and fags and the cost of motoring and carbon tax are all expected to uh, rocket from today. So motorists will be hammered uh, despite the spending splurge. And among other things, you can look at a 50 euro motor tax hike on the cards as well. But um, there's also an awful lot of questions being asked about Christmas bonuses and also pandemic bonuses at Christmas time. So there should be very good news in that. Uh, schools, of course, are a big topic of conversation, particularly considering uh, COVID uh, positive cases. Uh, rocketing lately and the Department of Ju- I mean, sorry, the Department of Education including Norma Foley says we are right and we were right to reopen the schools but there could be a divide between the public and the Gardaí if COVID fines are introduced and the Echo this morning says introducing a fines system could drive a wedge between the public and the Gardaí that's, account- that's according to the people at Civil Liberties because the Cabinet has agreed to introduce some kind of graduated fines system for non-compliance with regards to coronavirus, you know, certainly with to do with masks or straying out of your own county and things like that. And and in spite of whatever restrictions we have on our airports and people coming into the country, there are still 50,000 people landing at Irish airports every week, according to the Mirror this morning. Half of the bars now around Ireland have let staff go for good. And the examiner has a story um, this morning that talks to Paul Montgomery at Clancy's Bar on Princess Street. And he said he had to let go 90 members of staff as his business struggles to come to terms with the, with the 15 punters outdoor rule. Just an awful lot of staff 
and it's just one example of one public house that also serves food. But the question being asked now is, have she beans now taken off where pubs taken off over where pubs left off? The guards now were called uh, to a number of uh, illicit she beans up the country yesterday, and uh, some of them really and truly replicate perfectly acceptable-looking pubs. Uh, They even have portaloos outside them. So three she-beans were busted in the Midlands. They had everything you need uh, to replicate a pub. Taps, kegs, pool table, dartboard, outside loo, bar counter, the lot... Of course, with regards to Halloween, I wonder if there are many of them uh, on Lisa. I think there was a, a she-bean raided in, in, in West Cork there some time back. But if somebody has a she-bean, they're hardly going to text me and tell me about it, are they? But uh, trick-or-treating, again, the warning is out there. Uh, don't go trick-or-treating. Don't go traipsing from one house to the other. Not this year anyway. Come up with a plan B. And that's a front line of making the mail today. Uh, and then um, the stories talk of uh, stories on, on Lee's side, which are... Always loved you to see because it was up in McCurtain Street recently and I see all sorts of regeneration work going on there. And there's more to start next year. I mean, McCurtain Street has come on leaps and bounds. A vibrant uh, street that got a bit of TLC and it's going to get a lot more, including new wider footpaths, um, priority measures um, for footpaths as opposed to, <laughs> to motor cars. I suppose the priority now is pedestrians and cyclists, isn't it? Isn't cars anymore. Uh, new public lighting, more street furniture and the planting of lots and lots of trees. Bring it on, says I. They also talk in the papers today that texting is good for teenagers. Don't worry about it if they're constantly stuck in their phone, apparently. It's good um, for mental well-being. Boosts knowledge. Gets the grey cells working, apparently. You know the way it is with research. Damned if you do and damned if you don't. And did you ever notice how people would often say that couples who marry, they grow into each other? Um, apparently, that's not true. It's an old wives' tale. Married couples grow to look increasingly like each other as the years go on, or so we were said to believe. Scientists now say that's not really true. Um, they resembled each other from the beginning because we tend to pair up with partners that resemble us in the first place. Take that with a pinch of salt, if you will. And also, you know, as you grow older, people say you grow grumpier. Um, and that, that that's okay, apparently, if you're a Victor Meldrew type, because you were once funny, apparently. It's the aging process that dulls our sense of humor, apparently. And also, there's a lovely story, which I want to come back to and develop into something on air. And it is the things that wreck our heads when we're eating with other people. There's a story in the mirror, mirror this morning of the things that wreck your head when you're out eating with somebody. And they list them, including, I don't know how many people do this, but you've got one type of food and the other person has, say, for instance, a, a cheeseburger, right? Uh, you lean over and say, can I have a taste of that? Pick up and take a big bite out of their cheeseburger. You can't be doing that. There are other ones, including helping yourself to chips from someone else's plate, not ordering dessert, but then tucking in with a spoon or a fork into the person across the table's dessert. Not ordering a side dish, but eating somebody else's instead. Um, how many people sneakily would do this? Somebody goes to the loo in the middle of their meal and you lean over and you eat something from their plate. Taking a massive handful of crisps out of somebody else's crisp packet. You want a crisp? You mean a crisp, not a big huge fist of it out of my bag. And there's many more. The person who takes the sneaky extra slice of pizza that they're not entitled to. Taking a piece of naan bread when you didn't order it. Uh, assuming all the food ordered is for sharing with everyone. Um, and the one that I think I can relate to most because it is a pet peeve of my own daughter, double dipping. 
Yeah, double dipping. Dipping a chip into somebody else's blob of ketchup is bad enough. But dipping a chip into somebody else's blob of ketchup, biting it, dipping the chip in again for a second time, which is called double dipping, is an absolute no-go area, apparently. Anyway, if I've missed any of those, text 0868104106. Your food hates are the things that wreck your head when you're out dining with someone. I'd love to hear. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Okay, morning all. Uh, I spoke yesterday actually about property prices and rental prices on lease side. And I was asking the question, how did it get so high? I remember I was thinking that maybe some of the reason was that an awful lot of people had come back to Cork because their workplaces in Dublin and other areas like that had closed. They were working remotely. So they were back here and they will be for the foreseeable future. And they're looking for property. So all of that is added to the mix. And I was talking about, say, for instance, uh, you know, a three or a four bedroom furnished uh, semi-detached house coming in at 16, 1700 euro on Lisa. There's been a real huge spike in rent in a very short period of time. So we did a little bit of research into this yesterday. Say, for instance, uh, in the Ballancolic area, a three bed house, 1838 euro, an astronomical amount of money for a three bed Eighteen and a half hundred, fifteen hundred and fifty for Silver Springs again a three bedroom house um, over in Carrigaline a three bed one thousand three hundred and fifty. Um, where else have I got for you? Greenhouse Court uh, a three bed one thousand five hundred and fifty. Uh, Passage West uh, fourteen hundred euro a month. Another one or two for you. Barrett's Terrace in the city a three bed thirteen hundred and forty eight. I don't know where the forty eight comes from. Uh, a three bed in Glanmire, 1,800 euro. These are all from Dafton.ie uh, yesterday. Uh, a three bed in Montanotti, 1,292. It's quite interesting. You pay nearly 1,300 in Montanotti. No disrespect to Glanmire, 1,800. There seems to be a bit of a flip in the numbers there. But Wilton, a three bed, 1,450. Uh, and wait for it. On the Bandon Road, a three bed, 2,000. 250 euro a month. How did it get so high? A question for Roisin Murray, head of Terry Fitzgerald Letting. She joins me by phone. Roisin, good morning. Morning, Neil. How did it get so high? Well, you were talking about the um, the difference in numbers there, let's say between Glanmire and Montanotti. And one of the reasons being is the RPZ, the rent pressure zones that um, came in in 2016. So you will see a difference. You know, some people might be saying, why am I only... Um, Paying eleven fifty, where somebody down the road is fifteen, sixteen hundred. Um, all rents in the city now fall under the rent pressure zone. So, in a case where the property has been unoccupied for two years, there's no limit to what the the landlord will achieve market rent there. Um, but only a four percent increase can come into effect on a tenant who is already in place. So that's why you'd see 1,300 in, in Montanotti and 1,800 yeah. in Glanmire. The same rules don't apply. The same rules don't apply. Um, there was a case previously where you would be able to do an upgrade on the property, but the RTB have really come down in that. You would have to do a substantial renovation on a property, which would mean increasing the overall square footage of the property by 25%. So really, you know, it's legislated, it's the RTB who have come in with the RPZ, and in some, but at the end of the day, Neil, it's, there's 143 properties available on DAF this morning, in all of Cork, that's Cork City and suburbs. 
Um, is that high or low? Forgive me by comparison to very yesteryear. Low. Tiny, tiny compared to what you know it would previously have been. And why is that? It's just because Cork is getting bigger. The population is growing. Is it? The population is growing, and we've landlords leading the market. We have, um, let's say, there would have been landlords who would be who would have been accidental landlords who would have fallen into during the recession where they, they had to rent out their property. Um, it wasn't a good time to sell or they were in negative equity. Um, as the prices increase on for, for resales, we're seeing those leave the market as well. So it's tightening all the time. Um, and there's not a lot of tax breaks given to landlords. Um, so it's not so, as attractive. Many are out of debt and we're happy to sell yeah. and move on. So I heard that there could be 100 applications for any three-bedroom detached house, as an example, uh, on side. But it, it doesn't guarantee that the 100 applications ever get a hearing. Is that right? That would be correct. I suppose since um, since COVID, we've had to change our approach, for instance, um, in relation to how a property is viewed. So instead of meeting somebody at the property, we now do a video of the property so they can see online the property before they actually apply for the property. Once they apply, the applications come into us on a first-come, first-served basis. Um, and at that point, we're regulated as well, Neil, by the Property Services Regulatory Authority. And they have come out with a strict protocol to say how many people, you can only show four people within an hour a property. Yes. So there shouldn't be 100 people lining up at a property, uh, you know, and even at that, the person comes to the property they wait in their car or they socially distance outside and the agent is outside of the property, masks, sanitizer. They go in, take a look at the property, they come back out um, and then, you know, we go on further from there than if they're interested in the property. But, you know, it's a matter of keeping the public safe and keeping our agents safe as well. Yes, but how do you vet to get the numbers down from 100 to a manageable amount of viewings? What's the criteria? Well, on, as far as viewings go, the first four people who come in, we, we take them out, they meet them at the property. If they, if somebody comes forward from that, that first four, then they're the person who we feel will put forward to the landlord if they're a good candidate. And what makes um, a good candidate? Do you, are there any kind of hard and fast rules? It on, okay, so it depends on, the, on the, the property itself, what the rent is. If there's income there to support the rent, um, rental history, whether they have a pet, whether they're smokers, these are all these are all items that the the owner of the property will want to know ahead of choosing a candidate. Okay, you you didn't mention the elephant in the room here for many landlords, HAP. Well, we don't ask. So when somebody comes to apply for property, we just ask their. Their income. So all landlords have to accept HAP now. So if we get a HAP application in, we will also put that forward to the landlord. I think the what maybe some people on HAP are finding is a lot of this has gone online now. So you have to be prepared when you're going to see a property. You have to have all your documentation ready to be, you know, the way properties are shown, the way properties are viewed, that's all changing. It's all going online now. And unfortunately, you know, even for the agent meeting, having the chat at the property, you know, getting a feel for the person who's going in there, we're really kind of having to take what's documented in front of us, you know, as far as their rental history is a big thing for 
for new landlords. Because actually HAP can be guaranteed rent, can't it? It can so be. I don't know why, rent. I don't know why, historically, landlords had a problem with people on rent allowances, it was known as. But they did. Yeah, and I think that I think as well, like we would have seen even with, with the COVID payment and during COVID, we would have had a lot of tenants, excellent tenants that are in place that unfortunately found themselves in the position where they had to go on hop. And we have we have hundreds of hop tenants, um, you know, on on our books. And yeah, it is guaranteed rent. Really, I think it comes down to in a lot of cases, is is the rental history. Have they a good rental history? Have they, you know, stability? Like, Neil, since we went online, um, our YouTube channel have seen 22,000 views of properties. And the age demographic there is from 25 to 34. Um, so unless new investors come into the market, um we're going to see, I think that, you know, those 140 properties, the number is going to tighten and tighten. Yes, but what will happen is that the rent will go up and you'll have um, three bedroom houses in Black Rock going for €2,300 a month rent. And but it can only go up, it can only go up 4% per annum. Yes, but let's say a newly renovated property, that wouldn't apply, sure it wouldn't. Yeah, it would apply unless the property was vacant for two, for two years, years or a substantial renovation. Okay, and, so, and would it be a case that you have prices like this, 2,300 for instance, or as I mentioned earlier on, 1,838 in Balancholic, because they know they're going to get a, four, a, a house share, so they have four people contributing to the rent so that they yeah. can probably afford when they split it to pay two grand a month. Yes. yes is that, that, is is that even fair? I don't think that it, it's. I don't think that it is fair. You know, but the marks will do what the marks will do. If there, if there isn't, you know, we would have went back to where you're looking at a two bedroom. Just see one online there in in Ackland Hall, a, a one bedroom for thirteen hundred. Like not so long ago, you were the landlord was only achieving seven hundred, seven hundred and fifty for for a one bedroom. But the market, unless more properties come into the market, we're going to see that tightening and tightening. Um, and the legislation is there to protect us, but I don't know if it has done what it, what it is supposed to do. So what we need then is to build more houses, build more apartment blocks on Leaside, is it? Absolutely, yes. Like I, I was just looking there this morning, uh, the independent came in, there was, I think... Um, 12,750 new homes are to be added um, to the stock of social housing. Um, now, uh, how many of how many will be gotten in Cork? I, I, I don't know, but definitely. And we're seeing a lot of people coming in from overseas and they want city living. They want to be um, in the city centre, you know, and, and not the suburbs. OK, so you see a lot more people coming in from overseas, even at this time? Surely not. Yeah, I'd say that we it has slowed down, but yes, we we okay. do. We we would still see people taking up um, positions in Cork, you know, and a lot of our our tenants as well are are are, are working from home. So, you know, they will pay the higher rents. And as you say, if you have a four bedroom property and you have four wages contributing to that, then they're going to um, be more attractive to a landlord than maybe one earner in a household. Because the four can split the rent and the rent can be higher for yeah. the split. And have yeah. many people come back, say, for instance, from Dublin because of their jobs going uh, um, remote, you know, and working from home, looking for properties back in their home city as well? 
they are we are seeing but but I would say more so from what we're seeing in our in our offices in, in Dublin or that more so to West Cork um, and Kerry and not so much the cities you know they would be more um, looking for more kind of value in the market but not a huge amount but they are definitely leaving um, Dublin um, but it's it's all over the country. Okay, okay. So at the moment, anyway, in the times we live in now, it's a landlord's market. Then has been for a it long is. time, really, hasn't it? Yeah, but unfortunately, yeah. But it, it, until there's more available property, it's going it's going to stay that way. Um, and who's the best type of tenant? Are they interested in families? Are they interested in? I don't know what they mean by professionals, 30-somethings. Are they interested in... Okay. Like who? Families. Families Families are great because, you know, landlords, they would see them kind of as, as long-term tenants in some cases. And we have seen an attitude change where some people, you know, are saying they're looking at a property now and they're looking at it in the long term. They're, you know, I suppose the, the demographic has gotten older, whereas before you were only renting in your... Um, your your 20s and your 30s, we see that that demographic is changing where people are looking to rent for longer and they might say, well, look, this is, we'll we'll rent now until and maybe not purchase um, and that they're they're longer-term renters. Can I just ask you before I let you go whether this is an urban myth or not, are there some kind of refundable booking deposits or viewing deposits or putting down your name deposits um, being operated by estate agents and landlords? No, that's that's completely illegal. You, If you see a property and you decide, I'm putting my name forward and I want to take it off the market, then a refundable booking deposit is paid on the property until the paperwork is done, the tenant moves in. No, but I'm just talking about for a viewing or to be to be processed as, as, as part of a potential renter, you know, like 50 euro or no. 100 euro to... No, that's 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 completely illegal. That would be against uh, you know what our. No, you may not do it, but have you heard that anyone does it? Um, no, you know you you would have you, the odd thread here and there, but no, no, I couldn't say that we've come across anybody ourselves that uh, that um, that we've seen doing that. Okay, all right, covered a lot of ground. Thanks for taking the call, Roisin. Do appreciate no it. No problem. Thanks, Neil. I'll let Take you get care. back to it. Roisin Bye. Murray, head of Sherry Fitzgerald Lettings uh, on Lee Side. Text 0868104106 on that one. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. And I have a feeling we'll get calls on it because everybody has their own type uh, of letting story, I can tell you. Jane, good morning. Uh, okay, can you hear me all right? Yeah, good. Okay, it's not the greatest phone line. Go ahead. You've been looking for months, have you? Yeah, so I say actively looking now about five months. And I've always kind of looked, looked on that and seen what was there, seen the prices and stuff. But I've been applying now for places about yeah, five yeah. months. Yeah, there's about 140 yeah. up on daft for Leaside Properties yeah. at the moment and, and, uh, and Roisin is I saying I probably applied for half I that's very low you, and how do you get how do you get on do you get responses do you get emails back do you get Sometimes. virtual you get, you, well you get the automated response from that all the time saying that you applied um, like I've hundreds of them I'd say um, but Okay, I'll, I'll hold on to you for a second if you don't mind. That's, that's a shocking phone line. I'll come back to it in a second. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Okay, just ahead of the news. Let's see if that's any better. Jane. 
Yeah. Okay, so you never you never get an email back from the estate agents, though. Well, you get the first email back, and they ask you, like, will you send a short bio about yourself, send your references, work references, identification. So then you send all that back, all that stuff. Sometimes it's the application form. You have to print that out and fill it out or send it back or send it back on your phone. And then you'll hear nothing back after that, you know, after doing all that stuff. So the application does take a bit of a while as well with some people, you know. And nothing comes back thereafter. And yeah, I'd say I've had about five viewings from about, oh, I'd say, 100 applications. Five know? viewings. Um, and how yeah. did the viewing work then? Was that was that kind of like COVID viewing? Yeah, well, yeah, you stay stand outside, let you go and have a look yourself, and then you come kind of come out and ask questions. But it's kind of, you actually kind of forget by the time you get out what you wanted to know about. So they don't go in with you. I suppose they can't. That's fine. Yeah. But um, there's always someone else waiting then. And why do you think you never got an offer? Um, Were you, are you a HAP client? Um, Well, I am entitled to it, yeah. I haven't even put that in my application book. They wanted to see first what I would get. But I did put it in a few and got nothing back to test. Then I just left it out at the first and just to see, is, is it easier to get rent as a private renter, you know? And did it make any difference? Yeah, it did make a difference, right? Yeah. You you started to get viewings when you didn't put down half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no matter what an agent would tell you, you believe that HAP... I think so, yeah, yeah. ...precludes a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you you need to get somewhere because there's a baby on the way, isn't there? Yeah. (laughs) So hopefully I will find somewhere, but I might have to wait. New Year, I'd say. And are you choosy as to where you would live? No, like, at the start I was. I was like, I'll only live here and here, and then now we're like, anywhere, you know, anywhere we do. And what do you think of the price? Sorry, what? I'm kind of looking out further now as well, like, I'm from the city, uh, always was. Like, we're starting to look in Middleton and Cartool and places further out. Because I drive, it's fine, you know? Yeah. But even, even hard. And what do you think of the increases in rent? They've been astronomically high of late, haven't they? The rent is massive, like, massive for, for what it used to be. It's the same price. Like, I lived in Australia for two years, and it's the same price as Australia. And your wage is double in Australia, so it's a lot easier to afford it. Okay, okay. Well, good luck with the search. Thanks for taking the call. Yeah. Appreciate yeah, it. Thanks, William. Cheers. Take care. Thanks. Can I just Bye. mention, I know I said the C word there a while ago. Uh, I got a text in recently there overnight saying, staff in Marks and Spencer on Patrick Street were informed uh, one by one, or we're informed last Monday morning that uh, yesterday morning that a staff member tested positive for coronavirus. They were told that the staff member hadn't been in work since Thursday, the first of October. Uh, got a text in from a concerned family member, one of the staff, wondering uh, how someone can work the Thursday before the weekend get tested and have a positive result back by Monday morning. Management and supervisors, I think, are playing it down, telling stressed staff members that any close contacts will be notified. Um, actually, you can get a test uh, on a, a Thursday and get a result back by Monday morning. You can. The results are coming back an awful lot faster than you would think. But we did contact uh, Marks and Spencer. And, you know, positive testing, it's showing up everywhere now. In, 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 well, not everywhere, but it's showing up in lots and lots of workplaces. That's why we have big numbers. Uh, and there's much more evidence now to show that, uh, you know, people are testing positive and they have to trace down contact tracing. Anyway, Marks and Spencer said the health and well-being of our colleagues and customers always comes first. We've enhanced cleaning procedures and measures in place across M&S stores. 
uh, to ensure social distancing. We're happy that MS Patrick Street is following all proper procedures and is fully in line with Irish government and HSE guidelines. It is what it is, lads. If somebody in the workplace tastes positive, then they will do all of the contact tracing. And if, uh, if you were working alongside that um, staff member, then you too will have to go through the normal protocols of, uh, you know, isolating, restricting your movements and getting a test. Back after 10 on one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. 104 Ah, yes, a lovely story, a very happy story, a lovely story making joe.ie this morning. Uh, we're a busker up on Grafton Street yesterday afternoon. Uh, a busker by the name of Martin McDonald was busking away with his guitar. I think he's the only busker probably on, on Grafton Street. I don't know how many of them there are, but I'd say few enough. But who walks past him just as he's playing Take me to the, take me to church. Who walks past him with bags and bags of shopping and a cap on his head? Only Hosier himself. And he tips, um, the busker, uh, Martin. I don't know how much he tipped him, but, uh, I'd say Martin must have got a right old shock. I mean, maybe next time Hosier will come back and do a bit of, uh, a jam session with him. So Hosier tips a popular busker playing Hosier's own song on, Hosier's own song on Grafton Street yesterday. It's a lovely story. It reminds me years and years ago. Uh, when my sister was uh, busking with uh, some mates on uh, probably Grafton Street as well, and Eamon Dunphy was passing. This is years back uh, when uh, 20 euro or 20 pounds was worth an awful lot more than it is now, and he gave them 20. Uh, and she'd never forgotten that. It was a lovely gesture on behalf of Eamon Dunphy and indeed Hosier yesterday. I passed it on for what it's worth. Listen, if you do have a rental story or trying to rent, uh, and you have a story to share. You've lots of different ways of doing it. You can text 0868104106, email neil at redfm.ie, pick up the phone on 1850104106, whether you're a renter or indeed uh, if you have a landlord with an opinion. And also, if you can't come on air but would like to be heard, you can also send us a voice note uh, through WhatsApp on 0868104106 and we'll play that for you. So I will get that back to, I see a lot of texts coming in already on rent, rent costs, uh, HAP and indeed the uh, lack of properties available uh, in Cork City, Satellite Towns and County. But Dermot, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Thanks uh, for all talk about the, the HAP business. W- would you please find time on your show to cover the, the new Berlin airport fiasco no, why? Uh, no, 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 it's just, just whatever. It's just, just diversion, if nothing else, to show that there's this delusion that people have that Germans are all so efficient and so brilliant, and most of them are, like. But my God, they can get things wrong, too. Why, did you fly through it recently? Uh, no, 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 not at all. It's n- well, sorry, nobody can fly in or out of the airport. Okay, well, maybe, maybe on, you, all right, but uh, dear it, maybe, on a, qu- old, maybe on, maybe on a quiet day, if you don't mind me just staying on yeah. track, I'd be more worried about the future of Cork Airport with Owen Corrie saying to us yesterday that it may yeah. have to close for a number of months. That's Unfortunately, my- it's, it's, it's tragic because if, if there isn't the, you know, it, it's totally, dep- like all airports are totally dependent on on through floor or whatever they call it you know people coming and going yeah yeah and if there isn't like it's just they're they're vast uh they're vast kind of um uh buildings and that and they cost the earth to maintain unless there's a vast amount of people who are using it well i know uh, i'm just mentioning know, that it could tragic, happen you know, and it's the first time in its history if it does but anyway you are a landlord yeah absolutely okay, yeah okay and the reason why many uh uh, landlords don't take HAP is because, well, by the way, I do, and whatever we, uh, okay. me and my wife have two properties, and whatever, everything's going beautifully. So that's interesting because if you take HAP, then you have to be tax compliant. In fairness, you to have you. to be. No, I, I'll tell you the various requirements. 
you have to prove that you own the property or that you're that the person accept, taken the money on your behalf, which is my agent. They have to show that this is the property; it's owned by whoever, and this is a, the header of the of the bank account we're going to send the money to. Okay, so so and we know we know we know you're tax compliant. We know you take. No, you also have to prove you have to provide your PPS number okay, and right. get a tax a tax number. Yeah, uh, and then you have to give undertakings that the property is in good order and that and, and is subject to to inspection. Yes, but landlords, and not all of them, but there's a fair proportion of landlords have a problem with HAP tenants. Well, whatever they probably don't want to declare the tax. That could be we one have reason. To clear it. We 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 have to every every year we we send we we get our accountants to uh, you know it's, it's a very simple process just because uh, the money comes in whatever we show the accounts and then it's sent off to the inland revenue and as a result to the sorry to the revenue commissioners as a result of us spending a colossal sums um, you know getting the place up and running and that. Um, We've not had to pay tax for the last, say, three years. Because you're, okay. you, you can put, you can, we've all the various expenses, because we did it right, you know, can we, we... But uh, we anyway, are seeing um, prices now that are just way out of the ordinary, 1500 course, 1600 it's, it's crazy, it's, it's crazy, and I feel desperately, desperately sorry for, for you know, the the, the people nowadays, they happen to hope but it, of, it, of, ever achieve, but of, of ever achieving. But I'm still and, seeing texts coming in from people who are saying they are on HAP and they can't get a viewing, and I don't understand that, because no, you're I, guaranteed... You see, the HAP works as follows. If they have, if the tenant doesn't pay the 10% or whatever to the council, let's pretend your your rent is a grand a month. If you don't pay the 100 of that to the council, the landlord gets nothing. And when you go to the, when you say to the council, oh, come on, you know, where's my money? They just say, well, your man hasn't paid the 100 euros. Yeah, there's a, there's the top up. You're saying then you, you're then stuck. You have to get them to go and. But by the way, mercifully, we take a small little hit on our rent in the region about ten percent, and we have an agent, and the agent does all the work for us. So and you can you can run into problems. You're saying with you HAP can, if they and don't. The problem with the problem with renting in this country is that it takes it takes forever to get somebody out of a property. You let them in. If they refuse to pay the rent, you have to go through the baloney, um, the PTB, it's called in Dublin, the Private Tenancy Board, yeah. who, are, who don't have any power and have no desire to, you know, you know they have, they've, they've neither the power, you know, they've neither the teeth or the ability to... to uh, no, well, they to do, do arbitrate and they do have hearings. Yeah, but, but, but what's, you, need, you need, if people aren't paying the rent, you need vacant possession. If they're just if there's if there's if you happen to let somebody in who's a one pay one pay kind yeah. of person, yeah. and it happens to many people, and that process can did, take what? Do That's why you need an agent to to do it. It's a business you're running at the end of the day. It's a slow and process then to get a non-paying tenant out of a house. So what you're saying? It's it's. It can take yonks, okay. I believe. Okay. Okay. You know, you know, but 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 that's. I don't mean to be harsh, but at the end of the day, it's a business. Okay. And, okay. Uh, but but it's a delude that 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 person from the estate agent. It's delusionary to say that you're guaranteed the money. You're not. Okay. Thanks for that, John. Good morning. Good morning. Neil. There's two different comparisons on the same house, is it? Uh, just to give you my take on the rental situation, um, I was renting a house in a Cox satellite home from 2010 to 2017. 
Now, I left in August 2017, and the rent was 620 a month. And just over one out of curiosity, I kept looking at it, and I was watching on that, and it went from 620 when I left to 300 euros more for the next tenant. Now, that was a big increase. Um, well, it says here that the, it says here on the text that you were paying six hundred and twenty-five a month, and the same house has now just come up for rent last week, and it's now eleven hundred a month. Yes, that's correct. It was actually on theft last week for eleven hundred. That's no. double the price in three years. Yeah, when you consider that the uh, rent pressure zones are only allowed, I think it's four percent per year. But my problem is when you when you rent a house. Um, the landlord has to give your details to the the, uh, the RTB and along with your details they also have to give the rent that's been paid mm-hmm. so when I left I was paying 625 the next tenant in then which was probably just a few weeks later is paying was paying 900 euros so that is all done on official forms somewhere and why is there no system to flag that huge rent increase? But maybe it's not in a rent pressure zone where it's limited to 4%, perhaps, is it? Yeah, but it was in a rent pressure zone. It yeah. was? Yes. Oh, crikey. Yes. Well, there's, a, there's something wrong going wrong. There's something gone wrong there. But, but it should be a very easy thing to um, sort out. Like, and that was, um, but like I don't know the property, and I don't want to know the property. But would it have been just rented directly by the landlord, or was it through an agent? Do you know? Probably don't know. Directly, but directly by the landlord. Yes. Uh, well, you got a rogue yeah. landlord going on there, then, don't you? Yeah, but it's going on quite a bit, you know, throughout country. You think that there are I, private landlords renting directly that aren't abiding by the four percent per annum rent increase? Absolutely, because they know they're not going to be caught. There is no policing of this rent pressure zone. The 4% of the rent pressure zone, there's no policing of it. Okay. That's why, they're getting, that's why they're getting away with it. So in three years, the property you lived in doubled in rental price. Doubled in rental price. Incredible. Okay, yes. thanks for that. That's Appreciate crazy. it. Thank you, John. By text, um, the good people at Cherry Fitzgerald are not exactly right in my experience. Last year, I was looking to rent, and every single house I viewed, I was asked if we were in receipt of HAP. Both myself and my husband were working full-time. We were not receiving HAP. If you're getting HAP, you are automatically ruled out of the running for a house. Uh, morning, estate agents are as bad as landlords for jacking up prices, in my opinion, says somebody else. Now the text here, it was €1,300 Euro for a one-bed apartment in Cork City with my partner. €1,300, Euro, one bed. I had to provide months of payslips. I've had less intense job interviews. Uh, no outside area, and when things go wrong in the apartment, the letters take their time. I'm 30 years of age, I have a good job, and yet still no hope of getting a mortgage anytime soon. You'd think a bank would take proof that I've paid someone else's mortgage for the last decade, wouldn't you, without missing a payment? That just doesn't seem right. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. We recently moved from Mallow back to the city. We approached uh, agents in Mallow to help rent out our house for us. They told us not to accept HAP from a tenant because there's too many rules and it's like having a landlord yourself. Uh, We didn't go with their help and found a lovely tenant who is on HAP. So that's somebody who moved from Mallow back to the city, rented their house and the agent said, 
whatever agent it was, don't take HAP. It's a nightmare. Um, I have a problem with some of the HAP people. I have a family living in my estate in their 50s and they're paying nothing for the house. It's filthy. It gets everything for free while, while, while I work every hour. It just makes my blood boil. Well, I think there's no, there is no excuse at all for not looking after the property. None. Regardless of whether you're on HAP and paying a tiny contribution yourself or whether you're not and paying the whole amount. Um, I think probably there's even more. Um, no, there's not. It's the same, to be quite honest with them. Just thinking out loud. Um, you know, unfortunately, you will come across people who don't have to contribute to the rent or have to contribute only a tiny amount. And they have no mass in it because, as the fellow says, they have no skin in the game. So we'll come back to those. Text 0868104106. Teresa, good morning. Morning, Neil. Happy, happy stories, please. Mad forum. What have you got? Yes, I usually ring country clean about my bill when I'm due pay because I pay monthly in the post office. Right. And the day I rang on the 29th of September, I was talking to a lovely girl, and they all know me from ringing. And I just said to her that day, I said, "Say happy birthday to me," and she said, "Happy birthday, Teresa." So I didn't think no more of it. On a Saturday evening, then. Um, there was a knock on my door and there was a girl there and she said, are you Teresa? I said, I am, yes. And she said, I have something for you. I said, oh. And she said, she came in with a big bouquet of flowers, a balloon that you would stand on the table with happy birthday on it, um, a box of roses, a box of USA biscuits, a card, <laughs> which 34 of them down there in Mallow Country Clean signed. Lovely verses, and they said it was a pleasure to deal with me. Also, scratch cards in it, which I won twenty five euro. <laughs> so, I'm, while I'm ringing, why I'm ringing you this morning is I want a big thank you to um, to mention, and also you might nominate them for free food on a Friday. You never know. <laughs> so you the staff at Country Clean, um, Mallow, exactly. After your phone conversation. There was yes. a knock at your door. Somebody came up from Country Clean and Mallow with all of those goodies and gifts for you. Yes. Including yes. the lottery yes. ticket that you won 25 euro on. So that in itself is a miracle. Um, yes. To wish you a happy their birthday. Their kindness and their generosity caught me. They drove up from Country Clean to do all that. They drove up from Mallow. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. I said like, oh my God. Even my daughter now said that. How many people would do that? And I only ring him about... My bill when it's a joke. That's the loveliest thing to I do. I was 65 on the 29th, and I said, like, they know, I said, I forget, like, do you know? <laughs> that was just <laughs> a beautiful thing to do. Yeah, we went to I, so I much just, trouble, you know? Yeah, I co- and each one of them, I counted their names on the cards I've here, all my cards still up on the table. I can't take them down because I'm so overwhelmed. I'm delighted. I'm delighted. Four of them signed the card with beautiful verses. What a wonderful thing to do. Well done yes. to each and every one of them at Country Clean. It's a beautiful Wasn't gesture. That amazing, amazing. Belated, belated happy birthday to Teresa. Thanks oh, for sharing. Thank you. Okay. And thank you. And More. please nominate them Friday. All right. I would be very grateful. We'll put them in there thank and see you. how they get on. Cheers. Anybody oh. else got wonderful stories like that? That's one of the best ones I've ever heard from a company. Really and truly. That's a great system. Uh, um, Why well, not system, but it's a, a great thing to do. Talking, what I mean is, do you ever see these systems that they have now? It was my birthday last Friday. It doesn't really matter. It was just my birthday. Um, and you know, when, like these days now, you got, 
you get some birthday cards in the post, but you know, this, the young people's gig, I suppose, birthday cards by and large, and some family members will send them or what have you. And we had a wonderful day on Friday. But my inbox on Friday, my email inbox was full of happy birthday greetings from all over the world, right? Uh, but you know what they were? They were all different companies that I dealt with over the years, even car rental companies in the four corners of the world were wishing me happy birthday. Company that I use in New York to take me from Manhattan to the airport wish me a happy birthday. You know why? Because when you're booking things online now, you're filling all this stuff in, you put in your date of birth. So they, people you don't even know, complete strangers that you might have used once down in Spain or something, four corners of the world, send you birthday greetings on your birthday. Just goes to show, boy, they have all sorts of information of you belonging to you, all on file in a filing cabinet. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. We'll back to the rent issues throughout the course of the morning, but in other business, a very cross mom system. He's just wondering what people's thoughts are on the contribution requests that people are getting from schools these days. We recently got notified that the school in which my child attends have increased their contributions for the year. They say it's due to COVID. You'd think the Department of Education would take up the flack there now, wouldn't you, considering the times we're living in. The school are asking for €150 for one child, an increase of €50. €125 for the second child, an increase of €50. €300 for three or more children, an increase of €100 from last year. I personally think it's an awful lot of money to ask parents for, especially during these times when families just had the expense of back to school and Christmas looming. If anything, should they not have been looking at ways to decrease these fees. Other schools in the area seem to only ask for a fraction of the amount. I think it's an insult to families struggling at the moment. Just wondering what other people's experiences are. What are they paying? Do other primary schools in Cork charge as much? 150 for one child, 125 for the second. Um, and 300 for three or more kids. So I'd like to hear from you on that one. Um, there are a lot of stories then that would be, say, for instance, uh, mask-related. And, uh, you know, I've been getting a lot of grief, actually, no matter what I do, uh, whether I say do or don't. Not that it matters. I'm only trying to share stories. But you must let people have their opinions. You sound so one-sided on air. Let the anti-mask people come on without chomping down their heads. Is that not the point of a debate? An equal opportunity for both sides to speak. Personally, I wear a mask out and about, but I also agree with certain aspects of the anti-mask movement. Why is it that if I died of blood loss, but had COVID-19 at the time, I'm considered not a blood loss death, but a COVID death? Why is it that the cases are rising during this lockdown? Well, type of lockdown. Why is it that there are more people dying from suicide and that's not made half as much an ordeal? Why is it there's health experts saying that with the right vitamins and zinc in your body, you can fight the virus, but not one member of the government ever mentions this. All of this useful information that the government refused to put out seems at least very sketchy to me. I think that elderly and vulnerable should have to stay inside for their benefit and the rest of us that are healthy and willing to go out in the midst of all of this should be allowed to. Why are we not given options? We're just told what to do by a government that willingly withholds important information from us. The man on air with you, Neil, who doesn't wear a mask and refuse, he didn't come back to me actually, I asked him to go up back into a shop and try and get in without the mask and say to them, I don't agree with it, it's brainwashing. 
He never came back to tell me if he did that. But uh, with regards to that man, he doesn't have any respect for his children if he's not wearing a mask and setting a, a responsible example. As a healthcare worker, I wear a mask for 12 hours a day. I do my best to make sure our residents don't feel alone during this horrible time. People just need to cop on. I work as a manager in one of the large supermarkets in Cork. We have a big problem with people coming into the shop, particularly men who are aggressive when challenged. Initially, we were told to challenge people for not wearing the mask, but it led to grief in store. Since then, we have stopped challenging people. Um, That man on air with regards to masks is right. Masks don't work. Also, the numbers are going up because places are testing more people for the virus. If you have had a flu in the past, the test will show up positive. Uh, I'd have to check that. I don't think about that. People need to wake up. You have kids in school wearing masks seven hours a day, but they take it off at lunchtime. Does the virus take a break at lunchtime? Wake up. You're all being brainwashed. There's a virus that is man-made, and it's a flu virus that affects the elderly and vulnerable more than a common flu does. The longer people comply with all of these rules and regulations, the longer we'll be stuck in this. Simple as that. Wake up, guys. Suicide and mental health are far worse than a flu. The army are knocking on people's doors in England now. They're asking people would they like a COVID test. They're practically begging people to get tested so they can raise the case numbers and put more fear into people. A lot of crimes have also been committed over here. I'm not a yellow vest. I'm a person who has common sense. These guidelines make none of that. No common sense. God help us uh, over those people who are being fooled by all of this. We have ruined our kids' futures. And that's just a selection. One final one. Please do the research before you make sweeping statements that wearing masks can't do any harm. Headaches, hypoxia, excessive carbon dioxide buildup, and so on are only examples of the side effects of mask wearing. What is the long-term damage? Where's your scientific evidence to support the wearing of them? Right to be. Well, I certainly haven't an issue with reading those texts out, uh, so keep them coming from both sides of the discussion. Text 0868-104-106, and I will come back to them. Right. Now, I'm more interested, actually, as we move along with happy stories and more positive stories wherever I can get them. And I have a good friend who I developed a friendly relationship some years ago, um, and his name is Taufik, and he originally came to Ireland 26 years ago, uh, and he's in the catering business. He's a chef. He's got a number of different businesses that he's built up over the years and he's moved from job to job I have to say but I was chatting with him down in Blackrock last week and he was telling me that he's originally from Tunisia and he was telling me that his young daughter has just started school and she's going to the Gwail Skull and she's teaching her daddy originally from Tunisia how to speak and learn Irish and I thought that was a fantastic story uh, and a great opportunity to share with you uh, how we integrate as a society and he joins me by phone Tuffy good morning can you hear me all right? Hello? Can you hear me, Tafik? Morning. Good morning. Listen, when, when when did you first come over to Ireland? I think you went originally to Dublin. Was it Tunisia to Dublin direct? Tunisia to Dublin direct, yes. Yeah. And what did you do? I mean, why Ireland? You see, that time I used to work in the hotel in Tunisia. I get a free choice between the United States, Canada and uh, Ireland. So uh, I chose Ireland myself. Because uh, I never know anything about Ireland. So uh, I arrived into Dublin. So I, uh, I get a work permit actually to uh, enter to uh, Ireland to work. So uh, I came into Dublin. I started working in the restaurant there So uh, for a number of years. And after that, I did change my uh, job. So your English would have been pretty good when you came here, would it? 
Uh, I was studying English uh, back home in Tunisia, but uh, it's not uh, 100% was. But uh, with the practice, with the customer, with the people around me, so uh, I get to prove my English a lot. Okay, so you started in the restaurant trade, but then moved into the fashion, the rag trade, was it? Exactly, yes, indeed. Uh, I was working in the fashion. It's a uh, ladies' fashion clothes. So uh, there is a company between Dublin and Cork. So I start as a salesperson. Uh, after a number of years, I get position supervisor after manager, manage uh, both shops between the shop in Mershinsky was that time and the shop in Dublin. And from there then to Square Deal, wasn't it? Furniture job. Yes, I lost my job as well too from uh, that company's closed down in uh, Mershinsky. I start working in Square Deal Furniture uh, between Square Deal and the loft. So uh, I did uh, work for a couple of years. So in the recession time, 2008, I lost my job. From that time, I decided I don't want to work for somebody else anymore. Why? Why was uh, that? Because you wanted to be to control your own destiny, was it? You see, uh, I trust myself. I uh, I can't do work by myself. So because each work I work, so uh, I lose my job as a close down or recession or anything like that. So uh, that's what happened. So you decided at that point that you would never work with for anyone else again, and no, if you lost your no. job, it would be just down to you and your own business. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. So I started doing a course how to be your own boss. <laughs> so, uh, Where did you do that? Sorry? Where did you do that course? I did it between Dublin and Cork. How to be your own boss? Yes, how to be your own boss. Like, I mean, uh, I have to, because I, I have less experience. I know how to deal with customer. I know how to work. But I'm still, it's not 100%. I can say myself, I am a boss. So I have to know about a lot of things as well, too, how to work. So I started doing that course. So I qualified. So uh, that time I did open a restaurant in Pinorowski. So uh, I did uh, run the restaurant for a few years. Uh, by myself as well, and uh, I did help uh, as well too from my brother, and I thank them a lot for them help. So, and after I decide, I, I find myself nearly I'm losing my family, my kids, and my wife because it's a restaurant business taking all my time. So, uh, did you settle I, down here? Sorry, did you meet your wife here? Oh yes, I did meet my wife here. Yeah, my wife is French, Tunisian French. I met her that time in the shop when I used to work in a clothes shop. Yeah, yeah. So we did stay a few years. Uh, 2007, I get married. Now I have three kids with her. But don't jump ahead too fast. Didn't you Didn't you open a business on McCurtain Street where Haji Bay am, years yeah. ago used to make Turkish Delight? Yes, yes. yes. The business is still open. But uh, at the moment, it's uh, as you know, COVID-19 is uh, we're struggling a bit with the business. Did so, you know uh, about Haji Bay? I, hear, uh, I was researching about that. So uh, that time I find that it's something missing in McCurtain Street at a Turkish Delight. Uh, place and I have a bit experience about Turkish Delight myself <laughs> from back home. <laughs> I think Taji so Bey was Turk Armenian, was he? Yeah, he's from Armenian. Yes, he's yeah. from Armenia. So you, so, he uh, had a, famous. You, you decided to open Cork Sultan Delight, was it? Yeah, Cork Sultan Delight. Yes, Turkish Delight and baklava and uh, herbs tea and a few things and deli with a hot food as well. <laughs> It went full circle then, the Turkish Delight on McCartan Street over the period of it 100 is, years. It yeah, uh, it is. I, so I started doing it myself. Uh, and after that, as I am working in the uh, outdoor business as well, so I didn't find a lot of time for myself for uh, preparing. So I get somebody else. I give him my own ingredient. He's doing the Turkish Delight for me. 
with my own ingredients. And is it similar to Haji Bay's, or is it is it right that well, it's your it's, uh, it's your daddy, it's your papa's recipe, is it? Yes, it's, it's my recipe. So it's I hear the good feedback from people. They said it's lovely. It's similar to the Haji Bay, but I can't say myself it's a Haji Bay, but. Uh, it's a good, it's a good recipe. I'm using it as well to win it. So, uh, but yeah. it's important to know that that McCurtain Street, there is um, still Turkish delight being made on McCurtain Street, which I think is a great story. It is, it is, it is a great story. So uh, I'm delighted of that unique business as well too there. But so, then, uh, so then you went, then you went mobile, right? And you took the business on the road because when well, whenever I meet you, it's at a family market. Or sorry, it's at a farmers market. Yeah, farmer market in Blackrock uh, Village and uh, Balincolic as well too. So uh, that's where I'm start my own business. Start my own business as well too with the farmer market. And how's that going? I mean, what are you cooking? Uh, well, I cook in Greek, Turkish, Tunisian, Moroccan uh, cuisine. So which uh, more uh, like uh, fast food uh, food? So. Uh, and traditional, traditional Tunisian, Greek, Tunisian, Moroccan. It's my yes, it's my recipe as well too. So it's uh, my unique style as well too. I'm using it. And who 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 likes it? Is it all generations? Or you find that it's younger people are interested? It is, and I just I want to thank each single customer around Blackrock, Cork, Banning all over Cork for them support. So uh, all generations, young, early, younger, middle, all of them love it. So that's going reasonably well, even in spite of, of COVID. But if that wasn't enough, you also started a cookery school. Am I right? I am indeed. Yes, I started cookery school. I'm just I'm selling like, I mean, uh, like teaching people my experience uh, about uh, what I cook, what I use at home as well, too. So cookery school in McCartan stage, which now it's a close because of the COVID-19. Yeah. So uh, teaching people how to cook Moroccan, Greek, Turkish, Tunisian, Lebanese cuisine and international. And I think there is an appetite for that, if you pardon the pun, that people, our palates now are much more varied because we can eat food from anywhere in the world, really. And they probably want to know how to cook it for themselves, particularly a younger generation who want to get into that, right? Yeah, I have them. I have them becoming to me younger as well, too. So I teach them as well how to cook. So which uh, great to see younger starting cooking at home themselves as well. And uh, and the kids now, how old are they? My daughter, she's at 12. My son, Mohammed, he's uh, 8. Louis, he's 6. And you were telling me about one of them who's learning Irish and teaching you, is that right? Yes, uh, three of them. So my daughter, she's the elder. So she's doing homework at home for her brothers. And I'm listening to them. And she told me, Daddy, come, just I teach you how to uh, say a few words in Irish. So sometimes I use an, uh, it's uh, to the, my own customer as well too, or just uh, as a goodbye song as well too. So a few words. So uh, it's amazing, like, I mean, to uh, start learning Irish as well. With them. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. And did, did, yeah. did, did you, were you telling me that you've been invited back to give some guest lectures to tell people how yes. to do you things see, for themselves? Uh, Is that right? Exactly. The, the college where uh, I did uh, use my... Um, study how to be your own boss so uh they asked me each year uh twice a year to go as a guest speaker to teach people how to be set up their own business and don't go to the door a lot if you have experience show it to yourself and work for yourself as well too uh so that's what uh, i'm doing as well too so i uh, given the experience to people just push them not not i mean push them just uh, explain to them uh, like how i did start my own business uh never give up uh, never make the life as difficult. 
uh, it's making life easy. So when you fail, keep stand up again and just try to do it again until to get your dreams come true. So uh, that's and, the way I'm doing. And, and if there was one thing that people get wrong, mm-hmm. what would it be? You see, they think it's difficult. Everything is difficult. I can't do it. I can't do it. No, you can't do. Don't think it's everything that's wrong. So you can do it. You can do the work. If you have, uh, like, I mean, a dream want to come through and you have a business, you want to establish your business, start your own things, you can do it. Like, it's something wrong if you be lazy. Like, I mean, oh, I get easy money. I stay at home. That's enough. I can't do the other one. That's, uh, it's fine. It's completely wrong like this thinking. Just keep moving. Keep look forward. If you have the idea and the passion, go after it. Yes. But, on, on, I, I, you know, for people that I've met in the past who've made lots and lots of money, money was never their motivator. No, no, no. Money is not. Sony, so the money, like I mean, is coming the last. The four things you have to build up, your own things, your own business, your own customers as well, after the money is coming in. If you think about the money from the start, you want to be a millionaire or something like this one, that's wrong. It won't happen. From the little. No, never happens. Start from the little. And after that, start to grow up, step by step. Some first, not from the first year. Like, start with nothing myself. Nothing. I work very hard. I work in the morning. I work in the evening. Like, I mean, I never say no to my customer. If they ask me any question, oh, but can you do that? Can you do that? Mm. I am, yes. Mm. I can do it. Mm. I work everything. And how did you find Irish people and more to the point, Cork people? Welcoming, I hope? It is. This is my home as well, too. I love my country, Tunisia. I love Ireland, too. I'm Irish citizenship. Like, I mean, I, I live in Ireland here with respect. I respect myself. I respect around the people around me. I never have any problem. Mm. And I want to thank them a lot for opening the door for me. And they ask me, welcome to Ireland. Do you get home and from I, time to time? Yes, I am. I am traveling a lot. But this time, nearly a year and a half, I didn't go because of COVID-19 as well, too. So... Uh, I couldn't go home, but my, my, my parents, they used to visit me all the time. So, uh, yeah. Well, listen, it's good to catch up because I love sharing stories, particularly thank positive you. ones. And, uh, uh, Neil, I want to say thank you to Charlie Murphy <laughs> in Church Road and all single customer in BlackRock around Cork as well too. And uh, all the customer and the trader from McCartan Street. And thank you too. I know that you're at Charlie's... Um, garage area there because you have yeah. uh, I think you're not just doing the Tunisian the Greek and the Moroccan but you're also doing pizza aren't I do you? pizza yeah okay how many days a week are you there uh, at the moment I'm doing uh, Thursday to uh, Sunday but uh, I think from uh, this week or next week I start doing uh, Wednesdays or two because I receive a lot of phone call from customer they keep asking me if I am open or not there so the reason I have to spend time with my family as well too. Okay, okay. Well, listen, what I'd love to do is when the cookery is back open again, I'd love to send a couple of listeners along. Would that be okay with you to check out? You're maybe really learn? Welcome. No problem. Thank you so much, Neil, for that. Okay, not it. at all. I'll talk to you soon, Tafik. Thank Thanks for Take taking care. the call. Cheers, my man. Bye-bye. Positive story, inspiring story, and an all-around good guy. Lines open at 1-850-104-106 as soon as his cookery school is back open again. And I'm seeing more and more super, super uh, little restaurants and takeout opening um, uh, all over the city, you know, which is great. Much more 
choice with regards to international cuisine. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Text 0868-104-106. Actually, when I was out cycling on, on Saturday, um, there's a fantastic Palestinian restaurant in George's Key, as you know. But on Pub's Key, I came across one that was closed at the time because I was there at about 2 o'clock and I think it's opening hours are like 4 uh, to 9, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, it's a Sri Lankan restaurant that I'm going to check out and go back and they do lots of different uh, curry dishes and stir fries and uh, all sorts of different things like that and, you know, obviously do an awful lot of maybe Sri Lankan desserts but that's another example of, you know, international cuisine from all over the world in Leeside, a Sri Lankan restaurant on, on Pope's Key. It was closed so I kept on cycling and if I have a confession to make, I had a fabulous, fabulous bag of chips at Murphy's Chipper Blackpool instead, and it was all the better for it. Half of it is to do with the chips, but a lot of it is to do with the chats, doesn't it? Anyway, lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. You're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't when you read out texts and things like that. But Pat, good morning. Morning. You say you can't believe an email I read out with regards to older people. I found it offensive, to be honest. With you, and I don't think it should have been read out. I think these things need to be censored. The email was suggesting that old people should be kept in completely and the young people take get on with it and so on. That's what the email suggested to me anyway. You can read it out again if you wish. Well, I can possibly read out the, the, the relevant paragraph if you like. Yeah, uh, but read out the relevant paragraph. Okay. Um, uh, forgive me now, but I'll have to find it because I'm just surrounded by the mirror. My God, wake up, people. You have kids wearing school masks. You okay, take a break for lunch. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, there's a virus that is man-made. It's a flu-like virus that affects the elderly and vulnerable more than the common flu. Uh, the longer we comply, um, uh, the oh, worse. Oh, that wasn't the email, Neil. You read out an email suggesting that somebody did wear masks, but the, what they were suggesting is that elderly people should stay in they didn't necessarily agree with everything that the people who uh, didn't want to wear masks were saying, but they agreed with some factors in it. That was the email. And also they said that the elderly people should stay in and um, leave the young people get on with it. Yeah, that was the gist of it. While I, while I can't find it right now, but I will find it, that was the yeah, gist of it. Yeah, that was the gist. So yeah. you agree with that? Do I agree with it? Yeah. No, no, you, no see, you agree that that was the gist of it. I agree that's the gist of it, yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, the, the, what I'm trying to point out is that We've had people in our history in the past who were suggesting similar things. That's why here it you is. Here had, it is. Uh, here, here it is. I think that the elderly and vulnerable should have to stay inside for their benefit, and the rest of us that are healthy and willing to go out in the midst of all of this should be allowed to. Yeah, I mean that's that's crazy. That's a crazy thing to suggest. What they are suggesting is that you know it's only good for one section of the society. Actually, forget that a lot of elderly people have been through viruses before. They've come out the other side. But you do accept that if that person were here, they would say that it's people who are immunocompromised or have underlying conditions or indeed are getting on in age are the most vulnerable? Not necessarily. I mean, we're not getting any facts and figures of the amount of people that's in hospital this morning with COVID. We're not getting any facts and figures as regards to age groups. Um, the median age at the moment for the positive cases is 30 years of age. Yes. So, I mean, it's a, young, it's a younger person is maybe in hospital rather than the older person. Because the older person is, in some cases, have lived through a war. 
But I don't think the text. I don't think the texter is being in any way nasty about the elderly. I think that. Well, the, what 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 way would you say they're being? They're trying to curtail the movements of one section of society. Hitler done that. Mussolini done that. Ah well, Stalin I mean, they did an off. They did an off lot more than that. They did an awful lot more. Pardon? They did an awful lot more in regards to they killed they people willingly. Yes, but they were trying to dictate to one section. But the texter would be talking about the elderly and vulnerable to protect their health and keep them alive. Hitler wasn't no, interested. I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's what the texter means. I don't think. That, I mean, you can have, you could have an eighty. Take take for instance, if you're looking for somebody that's remarkable for his age, you've seen him on TV many times. Michal O'Meartic, and I'm just picking one. Michal Amaratic is no spring chicken, but I mean, he's a fine man for his age. He certainly is, he and he's out. well into his 90s. But yes, do, and do, he gets out and about. So, and so, so, so who should be restricting their movements and who they're interacting with? But who's, who should be telling them? Who should be telling them? Who's there to tell people? I mean, what happened to the Constitution all of a sudden? Is it to be ignored? The, the, I mean, that text is about keeping people safe, really. No, 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 it's not. Okay. Certainly not. Okay. That okay. text is to me is somebody writing in and their text is re- read out, dictating who should be in and out. That's dictating who should be in and out. Um, I know people who are twi- in their twenties, and I know people in their eighties, and the person that's in their eighties looks more healthy than the person in their twenties. Well, you'll always find that. I mean, you can come up with something like that always, like you know. Yeah, but are, are the pe- is that person? in their 80s dictating that a person in their 20s shouldn't be old oh listen no, there, no. There, like, there, there, is a, there is more of a divide now in this COVID-19 than ever before whether it's who should be in and who should be out in your opinion the city, the and then whether you should or shouldn't wear masks you know it's the, like, pe- the people who are elderly the majority of them not maybe all but the majority of them comply with government restrictions as there is they wear masks they do all that they can People still have to get old. Yes, but it was the government initially um, gave the, the guidelines. The advised, advised. To cocoon. Yes, they advised. The person that you read out uh, the email from, that was an advisement. That was just suggesting that one certain, one section of society should be told what to do. But what, that was an opinion. What are we supposed to do with opinions? Ignore them, is it? If they don't suit or, or they don't agree should with it, us? Should it, should it be read out? Should, that, should our opinion be read out that somebody is saying that one section of society shouldn't be left out? That's what they're suggesting. It doesn't make a difference how you wrap I think this, it up. I think it should be read out because in the spirit of how it was written, it was to keep them safe. That's an opinion of uh, somebody. No, no, no. no. Okay. Read it and maybe give it to someone in UCC and leave them analyze it. <laughs> And they'll come back to you with the same thing as well. Smarter people than me will analyse it. All right. Okay, yeah. Pat. Thanks Thank for that. You. Mind yourself. Take care. Text 0868104106. For God's sake, humanity has always had selfish people. Stop getting worked up about people in masks. Uh, look after you and yours and focus on just that. Bring in fines and irresponsible people will soon change their attitude. I'm sick of people giving out about others. It makes the current environment even harder to deal with. Uh, your pro-mask callers poo-poo the idea of brainwashing while themselves exhibit symptoms of brainwashing. It's not a case of wearing masks can do no harm. Uh, before their road to Damascus conversion, our public health officials, war- officials actually warned that the wearing of face masks in the community would have a negative impact and would turn the uninfected 
into spreaders. Since the wearing of face coverings was mandated, cases have increased. Yet we dare not make the connection. People calling you and their logic, they must accept the responsibility for the deaths that they have occurred. Uh, or caused, I should say. And that's from Richie. The um, point being that he says that since wearing masks it was mandated, cases, cases have gone up. I wonder, has that anything to do with schools and colleges reopening or pubs and restaurants when they reopened. Do you not think any of that had anything to do with it? Or house parties, for that matter. Uh, It's the idiots that won't obey the rules that have us in the mess we're in at the moment. We also need to stop blaming the government. It's simple what we're being asked to do. Um, This is why COVID cases are rising, because people are not doing what they're told. We're all at war with an invisible enemy. Uh, says Johnny. And just one or two more. I always wear a mask when going to the shops. I was in my car this morning driving my kids to school and this man on the street was shouting at me to wear a mask. Surely when I'm in my own car with my own kids, I don't have to wear a mask. Well, that just gives you an example uh, of how uh, fraught things can be when you have somebody on the street shouting at you in your car. Back after 11. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. As we take a break for Cork's sake in association with 12 different Cork hotels, you have opportunities to win two night bed and breakfast stays in various Cork hotels and this morning is no exception. All right, so we've got another one. You won't know until you've won it as to where you're going. Uh, take a break for Cork's sake and as always, there's a particular song that you're listening out for and you need to pick up the phone and get dialing when you hear it. So for today, Tuesday, this is the song you're going to be listening out for between now and midday today. This is your take a break for Cork's sake song. I should have I want to give that another spin between now and midday. Pick up the phone one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Take a break for Cork's sake. Uh, we're doing all our bit. We're all doing our bit to try and keep businesses open and uh, you know. Uh, keep the, the lights on. So we've got two night uh, bed and breakfast days for two of you in one of uh, 12 different Cork hotels. Take a break for Cork's sake. So that's just between now and midday today. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. 104 Linus, who was on the air last week saying that ma- mask wearing was uh, nothing more uh, than brainwashing. Uh, I asked him to go away and tell the truth the next time he went into a shop and tell him he wasn't wearing the mask on entry because we were being brainwashed. And he's come back to me. Uh, and I'll be updating with him tomorrow. Uh, but many people were texting with regards to how did he get on. Well, I will let you know in the morning when he's on with me. He's been back in touch. Uh, but we did have some texts on it, I have to say. The guy who had on on Friday was refusing to wear a mask as a disgrace. He lacks respect for the Irish people and particularly the vulnerable and the sick. I work as a professional in a healthcare centre and I see the dedication and commitment of our staff in keeping the care, our care centre COVID-free. We all wear masks. We also have to deal with the emotional element of having to tell the relatives of our residents that they can't see their mums or dads because of new restrictions. The sacrifices we have all made and we have to endure a COVID test every two weeks. He should be arrested and not tolerated. He should learn some manners and respect. Another one here, your caller on Friday. I just wondered what would happen if one of us Irish decided not to wear a mask in an Eastern European country and totally ignored their safety rules and regulations. What do you think that country's response would be? I don't think we would ignore their rules for long. Probably a huge on-the-spot fine over there, or jail, or perhaps both, says Mike in Mallow. So keep those coming. Text 0868104106. There's a lot uh, then with regards to people who are struggling to find somewhere to rent 
So keep those stories coming. Text 0868104106. Back to the phone lines we go. Jerry, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Okay, you agree agree with Pat that it's ageist to suggest that the elderly or the vulnerable, well, he's talking about the elderly, uh, should mind themselves indoors more than everybody else. Yeah, he's right. I mean, as it is at the moment, uh, the the elderly are getting a a raw deal. From my observations of going around, I find the elderly are far more responsible than the middle-aged and the young. They're wearing masks, they're keeping their distance, and they're not going out that often. They're not... They're being a lot more responsible than the middle-aged and the young. And the young then, a lot of, a, 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 a sizable minority, are having their house parties, their street parties, their raves, their ASB, ASBs. And not, that's a minority of them now, let me say. But then, they're, then the young and the middle-aged then are coming out and saying they all should cocoon for another six months while they're being very responsible and a lot of the middle-aged and the younger people are being far from yeah, very but for the, for, I, see, I, see, I see no old people going around without any masks on them. I know, I know. But and me- I've seen plenty of young people and middle-aged people refusing to wear masks, being careless about themselves and careless towards others. And the old people are being going by the rules. They're wearing masks. They're being careful. They're having to have to cocoon for an awful long time. They've been somewhat victimised, I know, between this going on, they're talking about bringing euthanasia through the doll, another top of stress on top of them. I mean, leave uh, the well, old it's alone. it's not quite that. Away. I mean, that's being alarmist. It's not euthanasia. No, it's not. It's not. It's been, it's been, it's been, they're bringing it on die with dignity. That's like the hard cases in abortion. There'll be very few abortions. There'll be very few old people killed. That turned out to be false. That's not true. That's a devious deception. Mm-hmm. I mean, the old people now, between COVID... And going on with this, this, this euthanasia or dying with dignity. I mean, leave the old people alone. They've been a lot more responsible than the middle-aged people and the young people. And how dare do you not think that there are people the of young, all, the young people tell them what to do? I know, but do you not think that do. just? I know it's slightly off topic, but but it's not actually because you're you're talking about euthanasia as opposed to dying with dignity. Do you not think that there are people of all ages, including the elderly, that would have a an opinion on dying with dignity? Um, and, that opinion, and that that opinion uh, I mean, might include that they don't want to die a slow, lingering or painful death. I'd agree with you. I mean, but our palliative care in Ireland is exceptionally good and in a few exceptional circumstances, very few. I would agree with speeding up the, the death process. I wouldn't agree with shooting a person or sticking a needle into but by giving him a high ah, But you're being alarmist again now. Thing. You're being alarmist no, again now, talking about shooting I'm people. I'm telling you the truth. Well, whether you're killing them by an lethal injection, whatever way you're going to kill them, I mean, you're killing them. But if in a, in a very rare occasion when a person is in a lot of pain, extreme pain, and there's no good prognosis, you'll give them plenty of morphine, you'll give them plenty of, and they'll die quicker than they would normally. They're, they won't linger as long as they, uh, 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 they could. I'm all for that on those rare occasions. But I mean, what's being brought that's, in here but is... That's happening. That's happening. What, what you just described is already happening anyway and has been for quite some time. We know that. Yes, it's not and, and palliative care, yeah, people are dying because due to being cared for, caringly, they're dying quicker than they normally would, which is fair enough. Yeah. Because you don't want to have people in power. And leave what's right alone. Okay. And stop, stop trying to bring in a convenient killing, which is very bad. It's a devious deception. Okay. Like, uh, the, abortion issue, right? like the abortion issue, we'll only do it in hard cases. 6,666 murdered last year and 372 more abroad. They weren't, they weren't rare. But you cases. see, you're, being, you're it, using it, terminology. It, 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 you're using terminology like murder that would be very upsetting to somebody who has terminated a pregnancy. Yes, but I mean, they shouldn't do it. I mean, it's very, it's a wrong thing to do. 
I mean, unless in exceptional circumstances in the way where the mother's life is in danger. But how do you know? How do you, you know you're you're a, the you're doctors a, and the, you're, the you're doctors know that the doctors know that. You look at Ireland in 2018. There was a huge number of abortions. 2,800. 2019, it went up to 6,666, and 378 more went across England. Over 7,000, a massive increase. Now, some of those, very few of those were crisis pregnancies. An awful lot of them were unwanted pregnancies. Big difference, black and white difference. Yeah. Um, people shouldn't, so you're shouldn't, very, shouldn't, shouldn't like, be killing people. It's a last resort to kill somebody. All right, okay. You, d- d- democracy, dicta- democracy dictated differently. That's why we vote. Well, democracy, the truth is subject to democracy. It is not subject to democracy. Democracy is subject to the truth. Moral law is infinitely greater than legal law. Okay. Ask Hitler or Stalin about that. Okay, Hitler now has yeah. come up twice already this morning. I'm yeah, not so Stalin, sure. And Stalin with I'm the not sure you, I'm not so sure you could compare anything that's going on to the life and times when works. Well, well, oh, well they legalize, legalize murder. Okay. Stalin, Hitler, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and right. now to, to have the old people now getting back to the original. So point. do you believe so that the only people that actually should be left out with free reign are elderly people? Because it's the others are no, acting... No, the, the, the elderly people would be more responsible for one, but people, if I run out with my mother who's in her 90s or anything, I'd walk her out slowly and carefully. And or, or anyone who's over 70. And anyway, they're a lot more responsible. They'll put on their mask. They'll keep that. They'll do everything virtually you tell them. They won't be having house parties. They won't be having street parties. They won't. That they won't be crowding in on top of and people. The, uh, I mean, and the median how, age. How, 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 the median age is coming. The middle-aged people and the young people tell them what to do. When they at their age, they're a lot more wise and they're a lot more careful. Fair play. Which and when the median age and those that are testing positive in the most amounts are in their thirties. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Exactly. I mean, they, they all now have suffered enough with their cocooning for over six months. Now let them give give them a bit of freedom. Stop being so unfair to them. Okay. All right. Thanks for that. Okay. Covering an awful lot of ground. Three different topics got worked on there. Ed, good morning. Yeah, morning, Neil. Okay. Um, I see here you've got an opinion on lockdown, is it? Well, well, I think everybody has an opinion on lockdown. And I think from, from what I can gather from your talk this morning, it, it seems like the whole community has become polarized. And you're either a doer or a doter. It's been that way for a while, but it certainly seems to be, um, um, I was going to say getting worse, but getting more divisive. Yeah, but suppose the crisis management that we've had over the last so many months, I think WHO has come out and really they're trying to now enlighten people that maybe it's a little bit disproportionate and it may be causing more harm or damage than any good. No, the UK now are talking about uh, possible national lockdown. They had a new well, three-tier well, and, system and, yesterday and thinking of right. even changing that. Okay, okay. And and when I sent that to you, I, I was trying to find out what could I say to this guy to ask him, should we not be bringing a different narrative out here? And what, what, there was a study done in Germany that basically looked at I think it was 235 patients who had COVID. And when they plotted the deaths to the level of vitamin D, they found that actually only two of the 235 had levels above 40 nanograms per mil. Now, 40 nanograms per mil means really, it's irrelevant. But what they're saying is that they have adequate amounts of vitamin D in their blood. So we should all be taking vitamin D, we should all be taking zinc. 
Yeah, but 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 the issue here is we all take vitamin D. You have people who are taking doses of vitamin D that aren't raising their levels in their blood so that they're above this level, which only a small amount of people are affected badly by COVID. So that's a wee bit like saying, I take alcohol, but I only take a capful. Yes, I take alcohol, but does the capful have the effect? Yeah, I know. So we're not taking enough of it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the level of vitamin D is extremely important. And remember, Neil, D is a hormone. While it's been given the name vitamin, it is a hormone. And if you were suffering the menopause, they'd measure your estrogen levels. So you say, well, would, are you saying that the government should be sending out or giving out free high doses of vitamins? I think it should be mandatory. I really do. Ah, yeah, but you I can't, know. like, people can't afford that. Not everybody could afford to follow that kind of a protocol or... Um, well, give it free. Free. Yes. Yeah. And listen to the experts. Don't listen to, oh, I've got my vitamin D and it's 800 units or it's whatever the case may be. Listen to your blood levels because if your blood levels are low or very low, the dose of 800 units will not bring it up. So say somebody did, did want to get vitamin D, they need to go to a pharmacy and ask for the highest strength possible of it, yeah? Well, well, this is the issue. Watch your D levels. And there are people out there that can't and should not take D. But generally, the population should be supplementing with D. Okay, now, okay. what, what are right. the studies telling us, Neil? And I think people need to be aware of this, that D may reduce the ability of this virus to take hold of your body. It may reduce that if you do get it, that it will reduce the incidence of you going into ICU. And you're talking, let me just say, you're talking as a pharmacist here, aren't you? I'm talking as a guy that's trying to look at how do we unpolarize society and let's get the common good out here. Because the amount of people not taking the correct dose is absolutely unbelievable. But the big, but the big, yeah, okay, and well said, and again, doctor's advice in that matter, but the big division I see is between those that are mask and anti-mask. Right? Well, you, you, when you talk of divisiveness, like all of the emails, the pages and pages of text that I get regularly are all to do with mask wearing, like that, um, you know, that it's, on one hand, it's very important and it keeps people safe, and on the other, that it's brainwashing and it's controlled by the government and it'll actually make you sicker. This is the this is the divide. And and suppose you're damned if you do and you're damned if you if you don't. But the facts are that if you sneeze or cough, it will reduce the amount of stuff getting out. And if you sneeze or cough, people nearly look at you as if, you know, you've got a problem. But what is it doing to your own health constantly going around with the mask? Well well, you know, Neil, there have been doctors that go online and say, Well, it doesn't do this and it doesn't do that. Everybody is different. And I have seen where masks have, have, have caused... Uh, um, um, aren't we, aren't we, aren't we breathing in excessive amounts of carbon dioxide, for instance, because we're, the, the exhaled carbon dioxide isn't disappearing? We're breathing it again. Well, well, this comes back to lots of other research that tells you, are we actually breathing correctly? Because are we actually bringing in the amount of oxygen that is needed and getting rid of the carbon dioxide? And if you're asking that question, you would have thought that that would make it worse. But there will be doctors will come on and say, well, I've tested this and I've tested that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't wear them. 
but I do believe that if people supplemented with vitamin D, okay. that that would strengthen your immune system to allow you to cope better with whatever's coming down the track. And I'm not talking just about COVID-19 because the research is there. During the winter, we pick up colds and flus more. One of the reasons why we do is we don't have that big yellow fopple in the sky. which is We don't have enough of it. Could I just ask you a question before I go away? Because uh, I'm talking, thinking about this a lot recently. Like, if the population of the world didn't eat meat, we perhaps wouldn't have as many viruses jumping from animals or wild animals or animals that we don't eat to humans, you know, like with regards to, say, COVID that came from bats and bats in Germany or SARS or Ebola, um, that if we didn't eat meat, um, we wouldn't be in as much trouble as we are. Well, we well, well the one thing, I, I, and I'm not going to say you're right or wrong enough, the one thing I would say is that I don't believe we should be eating confined animals in massive big cases. So the, the likes of chickens that come from massive um, barns, which are fed genetically modified corn, which I'm a big believer in. And if you read the research, it cannot be healthy. Okay. Genetically modified corn is laced with Roundup. It's given to the chicken. Are you telling me it doesn't end up on your plate? Well, I think you must be a little bit naive. Okay, as always, Ed, thanks for the call. Back after the break, one 850 The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at NeilRedFM. Okay, and it is day two of our giveaway of a beautiful piece of bespoke abstract art from the artist Chris OharaArt.com. So every morning, a little piece of audio from which you should be able to identify uh, a different famous artist and a different famous painting and on Friday somebody will win a bespoke abstract custom created piece for you and you alone for some wall in the home that you'd like to adorn with it so uh, this is I'm not going to give it away just yet but just before midday but I want to play it for you now because this is the piece that you need to identify it's a piece of audio that should give you the name of the artist and equally important the name of the piece have a listen Congratulations. Yeah, sorry about that. I'm losing my mind here. I got so much stuff up on the screen. Here it is. My apologies. That in, that in itself is kind of an abstract piece of audio, isn't it? If you think of it. You listen to the music gives you a tip. And what that person is doing will also give you a hint. Maybe it's straightforward to me because I know the answer, but I'll play it again before midday. Get on the phone to become Tuesday's uh, qualifier. On uh, mask wearing, my suggestion for all uh, is to, al- to be alert of their mask wearing neighbours is this. If you can breathe freely, your mask is useless. If you can smell cigarettes or wood or fire or smoke through your mask, your mask is useless. If you pass by someone and don't smell their cigarette smoke, then that is evidence of how little chance you have of catching a virus when someone next to you sneezes or coughs. That's interesting. But wearing a mask for an extended period, especially without frequent washing or replacement, can lead to dangerous buildup of bacteria inside and out, and that will cause serious skin and lung infections. There's frequently, there's already been at least one death from mask wearing. Again, I'm going to have to fact check that. Uh, Frequent washing of clothing will also make it even more pliable and porous. Masks don't stop viruses. Science proves that. They just create fear, distrust, and a feeling of isolation. What more do we need to realize? 
were being manipulated by fear-obsessed mad people. Imposing mask wearing is inhumane. It's demonic. Isolating ourselves and sanitizing constantly creates a high risk of not building up immunity, not just to COVID, but other viruses. Um, Neil, can you see any sense to the above or do you totally disagree with me, I wonder? Well, I think some of what you're saying needs to be checked. I do think uh, that an awful lot of us have masks in our pockets. We leave them in the car, we put them on, we take them off, we leave them down in the dash, we have them in our pockets where there's other stuff in the same pocket and I don't know how dirty they're getting. I wonder about that, how hygienic they are when you put them back on again. Does that answer your question? And there's lots more like that which I will come back to. But uh, it's budget day today and there will be good news for many, many people, particularly those that were worried about the uh, um, Christmas bonuses. Because they are in place. In fact, the Christmas bonus is in place for many people, including the absolute vast, vast majority of people that are on pandemic unemployment payments. It will also be paid to most people in receipt of those kind of payments. So from a social protection point of view, it's going to be okay. You know, there's not going to be any cuts there. They're also giving an increase to carers, about 150 euro a year. Not a whole lot. Uh, And then there's huge funding uh, being set aside uh, to build more houses, but much of that anyway was always was always going to be on the cars because of um, the program for government. There's also going to be an increase to fuel allowance, um, tiny increases. But one of the downsides is for people who drive motor cars. The front of the uh, and this is a very interesting time actually for people in the motor trade. In fact, I see in Phoenix, Arizona, at the weekend they were announcing that for the first time ever they're going to have driverless taxis. So that's how far ahead of the curve some people are with regards to to transport driverless uh, autonomous. Taxis, but the front of the Independent this, this morning says budget will hammer motorists. Despite of the spending splurge of the budget itself, motorists will be hammered to just get ahead of the curve. We got Tom Cullen uh, from the Society of the Irish Motor Motor Industry. Tom, good morning. Morning, Neil. What does that headline mean? Oh, it's, well, it's, it's not good news for the motor industry or the motorists. Um, uh, this has been predicted in the tax strategy group, and I suppose it's a bit of a deja vu all over again. We're looking back to 2008 when we had a backdrop of a global recession and uh, a major change to taxation on, on motor vehicles. And in that 2008 change, we moved to CO2, which in itself was a very good idea. But the uh, the, the fact that we, we sort of took people out of petrol vehicles, or the government decision took people out of petrol vehicles, told them that these vehicles were the ones to drive, yeah. and based the taxation system around then, we lost 15,000 jobs and 150, sorry, 10,000 jobs and 150 carriages went out of business. Not not just for that, but at the timing of it with the perfect storm. And we're now with a global pandemic, potential for a recession, and we're back in a major motor taxation change, which has the possibility of causing a lot of damage to the industry. I, I recognise why it's been done, but um, uh, it's a case of, we'll say, if this is if this is what's going to happen today, it's a, it's a case of possibly too much too soon. Um, we have we have to move in the right direction for climate change. The vehicle technology is coming, you know, probably as fast as it possibly can. Um, uh, and uh, so we have to do that in a transitional way, but not trounce on Yeah, it, like I did read the other day, all right, that, the, you know, people were being encouraged to move to, to diesel and move away from petrol, but they were being encouraged because a lot of the car manufacturers weren't being 100% honest about emissions in diesel cars, you see. Yeah, well, look, in, in recent times, everybody's read the media about what the motor industry did and, and how they treated emissions and the regard that they had for it. And, you know, but that, I suppose not, not to shirk responsibility, either, but that was done by very wealthy individuals at the top echelons of global manufacturers. What we're talking about here is 40,000 people that work on a 
that work in the Irish motor industry in cities, towns and villages all over the country. And, uh, and they're the ones that will feel the brunt of major taxation changes if they're not done in a way which helps to promote the, the movement of the fleet to newer technology. So we're not, like the, the idea here is that we have a fleet that's over nine years of age. We need to have a, a newer fleet because a newer fleet is, is more efficient, better emissions and coincidentally much safer as well. That produces that that produces less emissions, and for many people, they don't have the option to move to an electric vehicle. They will over time, but not at the moment. So, if you're driving from from Yall to Cork City, you're you know you you may be driving a diesel or a petrol vehicle, and you mightn't have the ability, or the option, or the finance to be able to buy an electric. So, vehicle. if you're okay, so, so if you're driving that diesel or petrol car from Yall to Cork every day, you're going to be paying more tax on the diesel and the petrol, and you're going to be paying more road tax as well. Exactly. So, so again, if you if you if you provide good public transport options, which many European cities have, and and I know that that would be the will of the Green Party to do that, which is a good thing. But if we don't have them at the moment by taxing people, you don't tax them out of their vehicles into public transport. You just tax them more. Um, and many people will never get the chance to buy a new car in their lifetime. So they're always buying a second-hand car, the best possible car they can buy for the journeys that they have to do. So for some people that can afford it, they will be able to buy a new car and buy an electric car. But for some, for many people, 2.3 million cars in the fleet. And this year we'll do 100 and uh, we'll do 90,000 new cars. Uh, like uh, and we, like the motor industry, for the last four years, our new car sales have been declining. So what we need is we need an increase in the new car market. So people can afford, okay. people that can afford it can buy the new technology. Okay, so we're talking about perhaps a, a 50 euro increase um, for high polluting cars, as they call it, on, on motor tax. You, you talk of 90,000 cars being sold this year, is it? Yeah, and so we, we would have predicted 110. We should be, like with the economy before pre-COVID, we should be doing about 160,000 cars. But as a result of the UK's decision to leave the European Union in 2016, our new car sales market is declining. So does that mean that the four courts of car showrooms and sales outlets are just full of cars? No, like to be honest, the, the, since, since people have a much better appreciation since COVID of their cars, and uh, like the motor industry this year has been doing well in the second-hand market. People are seeing their cars, which is really good. They're probably fearful that in the event of a lockdown, they want to make sure that their car is working because they don't have other options. A lot of people are not using public transport now. If you're if you're a kid living in Waterford and you're going to Cork and College, chances are your parents have tried to buy you a car yeah. rather than put you on public transport. So the car industry since COVID has been doing well, but that doesn't take away from the fact there are seismic challenges in trying to transition away from internal combustion engines into electromobility. And that's not something that you can do overnight with taxation changes. That, that takes time um, uh, because people, like in, in 10 years, most people will only change their car once. The average age is, is moving towards 10 years now. So if you're only changing your car once, it's hard to get people just by taxation changes to get them to move up to newer technology. And that's, that's, that's the way forward. Because it's not cheap, whether it's hybrid or oh. electric. There is a grant, though, I know that, isn't there? And, and the grants, in fairness to government, the grants are very good for electromobility. They're very good for plug-in hybrids. Like, so we're, we'd be equal to any other country in Europe in terms of the grants. But the vehicles are very expensive. And the more we try to reduce emissions, which is what manufacturers have to do, the more expensive these cars are getting. So if we want to get people up to newer, cleaner technology, regardless of where that, what type of technology it is, but the best is obviously electric vehicles, you need to continue to incentivize to bridge that gap in the cost. But also, you need to be able to incentivize people to get into newer technology because the newer fleet we have 
the more efficient and lower emissions. Uh, like it's yeah. cleaner and it'll be greener. Yeah. When? Oh, just just on that. When will diesel cars be gone from Ireland? When will they not be sold anymore? Well, all all the, like the we have to go with what Europe are saying. So Europe are saying by 2050, nobody will be able to NCT a car after that. They're saying that by 2040, no cars should be sold that are diesel or petrol in the new market. Um, uh, Ireland have put a prediction of 2030 for when they will stop allowing the sale of new petrol and diesel vehicles. The reality is, is that you know we're talking about a, a, a hugely ambitious target but, for what Ireland wants to. But achieve does it mean now that less and less people are actually choosing to buy a diesel car because? of what you just said. No, for many people, it is a confusing time. No question about that, Neil. People just don't know what the next purchase should be. They want to make an environmental decision. They can only do that if they can afford to do it, but they're uncertain what to do. If you buy a diesel car, you're not running the risk that you can't trade it in. Oh, no, not not in the short term. You know, that's, that's, most people that are going to turn their car over three, four, five, six years of time are not going to have a problem with that. But the difficulty at the moment is when people are uncertain, they just do nothing. So they just drive the car they're in and they just keep driving it. So somebody that bought a four-year-old car, has a four-year-old car now, is uncertain what to do. They're driving a nice four-year-old car. They just keep driving it. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and for the other people, that when the used import market was as high as it was with uh, devalued sterling, people were saying, look, I'm not sure what to do. I'll just buy a used import and I'll see what happens then until when the next purchase. So what we're doing is, all we're doing is Getting, creating an older fleet because people are sitting on their hands and not making a purchase. Like, that's not good for our industry, obviously, but it's not good for our climate change goals either. We will and we want to move to electric vehicles. That's not something. You can't take everybody out of their cars and say, okay, everybody get into electric vehicles tomorrow. It's not possible. But there would possible. be chaos were that to happen anyway because there's not enough charging points and the range isn't good enough Absolutely. yet, sure it's not? Oh, you're buying on. So, so, Neil, so, so now, in fairness, a lot of people will do their, if you could do a commutable journey, like say you're working in a factory in Ring of Skiddy and you have an electric vehicle living in the city, you can, you can commute in and out there. Plenty of range in that to do your five-day commute every week. So for many people, it would be suitable. But what people need to do is they need to look at what their, their driving needs are, considering what the options are out there, and buy the, what's suitable for them. Like a sales rep on the road, unless you can afford €120,000 Tesla, you're going to be driving a diesel vehicle. That's that's just the reality of it. You know, that's not going to happen. You can tax that person as much as you want. But they're still going to have to buy a diesel vehicle because they need to do that, you know, a, a range of mileage that suits. And they're not going to be able to afford a vehicle that's, you know, 100 grand. So, you know, they, they, it's trying to find the balance. There's nothing wrong with, with the intention here. The intention is very good, and that's where we need to move. But we need to do it in a sort of balanced, transitional way, which allows everybody to make the right decision at the right time for their driving needs. And for us, and it is selfishly, you need to be able to protect the jobs that are in the industry. Like this, there's, there's probably three and a half, four thousand people working in Cork in the motor industry. Yeah. You know, they're mo- from motor factories to retailers, right across the board. And, and every part of Cork has some sort of motor motor sense of that in that community. And uh, you know, there is there is it's not being protectionist, but we should protect our jobs. And are you saying that the price of new cars is going to increase? I think you were saying by thousands. Yeah, well, the, the prediction is that the tax strategy group document, which is sort of the think document from all the departments that lead to the budgetary decision making, in that tax strategy group document, the prediction was that the average price of a car with BRT would increase by about fifteen hundred euro. If that happens, there will be job losses and there will be a reduction in the in the level of new car sales activity. 
primarily because we're in the backdrop of everything else that's going on. People are going to hold on making decisions. So that that's what we don't want to see. You, you want to see a budget that actually stimulates activity, that allows businesses to grow um, and uh, and protects the jobs that are in it. Like that's the narrative that's coming from government. This is this moment, this difficult time that we're in. We need to protect the jobs, particularly ones that are in local communities. And there's, there's no more local than your, your motor industry. Okay, let's see what this afternoon brings. But thanks for taking the call for now, Tom. Appreciate it as always. Tom Cullen from Society of the Irish Motor Industry. The budget uh, is a little later on today. There are upsides to it, but for the motor industry, downsides too. Text 0868104106. In fact, I read in the uh, English Times this morning that there's even a warning now um, uh, with regards to a shortage of electric cars because those that are manufacturing them apparently are concentrating on mainland Europe to sell them where there's the most demand. So less and less will be, they're saying in the Times, coming to the UK, and I suppose by default, um, maybe not to the same extent to Ireland, maybe the problem that the UK is happening is they're outside of Europe, so they're going to have an issue with less availability because they're no longer in the European Union. So that shouldn't affect us the more I think of it. Anyway, uh, listen, on the various levels then with regards to COVID, do you really think uh, that the dubs are staying in their own county when they're at level three and have been for weeks? I was at a popular recreational amenity just outside Dublin last week and the place was full of dubs. That's why their numbers are high. The guards can't do anything to stop people from leaving their county as such. Um, maybe not, but they're certainly out there, uh, particularly at County Bounds, back after the break. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 1850-104-106. Regards to the guards and, um, you know, County Bounds, are you having a laugh? I agree with a lot of what you say, but I can tell you one thing. The day a law is passed that the guards can enter your home without a search warrant is the day we will live to regret. Are you telling me you would allow a guard into your family home without a search warrant? No, I wouldn't. But then again, I don't think they'd come calling one to come into anybody's home without a search warrant. Maybe you're suggesting that search warrants would be um, maybe temporarily paused if it were to happen during COVID where they could come in uh, willy-nilly to check. I did see video footage there recently of um, people looking through people's post uh, sorry, looking through people's letterboxes. Uh, I think that was in the case where they'd been called out when there was house parties in there. That's not quite the same as coming in your door. Speaking of um, coming in and out of doors, you know of the Debenhams protests, which is going on now for 187 days. And a few of those days were spent inside in Debenhams on Patrick Street. And then when they had made their point, the workers who were on strike left again. Yesterday, I was driving through town and I gave them a blow of the horn. They were um, protesting at City Hall. But there's an update with regards to Debenhams because, you know, there are liquidators that were appointed by Debenhams, the KPMG. And there have been issues, obviously, between not just the protesters and strikers with Debenhams, but also with KPMG on a number of occasions has gone to court and it did again uh, this morning and Madeline Whelan is one of the Debenham protesters joins me by phone. Uh, Madeline, thanks for dropping everything and coming on air. What happened? The KPMG got the injunction against us this morning just in the last couple of What does that mean to get an injunction? What does it mean? Well, it means that we can't stop the trucks passing. So we have to leave the pads, the trucks pass. And if we don't, we will be cautioned and then we'll be arrested after that and we'll be brought to the High Court in Dublin. So you have nearly 30 women here this morning willing to be arrested and be brought to the High Court before the judge. Because you will stop the next truck, will you? We will. 
and we believe there it's a half an hour uh, we were told before the injunctions would go to all the uh, guard stations in where the 11 stores are nationwide and we have about 30, 35 minutes they're saying before the issues and we reckon that they'll try a truck here by half a hour today. Oh, you think there's a truck? What what happens norm now up until before this injunction? When a truck arrives, what happens? Well, we've start, we've asked them not to pass a picket, obviously because it's an official mandate strike. Um, and on occasions they have got in, and we have asked them to empty the goods when they fill them, and they have. We they we, we they've been told they wouldn't be left out unless it was empty, and they have emptied them on the two occasions that we stopped them. Now we did leave the money truck out. That was a different scenario because there was money involved, and that was going into the KPMG part of money that would come towards us. That would ultimately come to you, but far from enough money, of course, and that's why you're protesting. So when when a truck arrives now, in the next hour or so, you're saying, uh, you will stop the truck? We're asking all truck drivers, Neil, not to come and not to pass the picket. But we will stop it. It will not be entering the premises here off Parnell Place or in Man Point and the other 11 stores nationwide is the same. And you're saying that Garda stations in all of those areas are at the moment being told that an injunction has been granted to KPMG. Do you really believe that the guards will show up then and arrest you? Well, I presume, Neil, when we stop at that, KPMG officials will be in store, as they usually are when something is going to happen, and they will ring the guards, and the guards will have to come. The guards in Cork have been so good to us, and to have helped us along the way, all the way, and they have really never bothered us. Um, but if they have a job to do as well, and we understand that, and we have notified Michael Martin and Valerie Connell, the shop steward, rang Michael Martin's own phone last Friday morning and informed him of this because we know since last Thursday that there were 30 women from Cork being willing to be arrested and go before Dublin, and he was to contact her back, and he hasn't contacted back, and she made several phone calls yesterday to him and left messages and sent text messages. And we have had no contact. And is there anything that a Taoiseach can do with regards to interfering with the courts? Nothing well, really. he can't interfere in the injunction, Neil, and we know that. It's law, and once you go for injunction, it's very hard not to get an injunction, and we know that as well. Because there's been numerous of people who've come out in Cork City and helped us with advice and stuff like that, so we know what we're up against. But he could have stepped in and asked KPMG to come back to the table and talk with Mandate Trade Union and all 11 stores nationwide. I know. And we're asking that. He's on about it since the 8th of September, he mentioned it in the drive, and they've been letters handed in into all the KPMG um, stores in offices actually in Ireland and they have had nothing. Mandate have sent letter upon letter to them and they have answered nothing. And what what Debenhams want to do is to get the stock out of the closed shop, isn't it? Yes. To sell elsewhere or do whatever it is that they want to do with and it. And obviously put it into a warehouse and try to sell it off at that stage. But it's 10 million we need for a collective agreement, which we were told we were entitled to even by the Taoiseach um, when we met him in Dublin. And there is 4.9 million in Partick Street, 3.7 in Tralee. That's two stores, Neil. There's 11 nationwide. There has to be more money than what KPMG are saying. And that's from a stock take that was done in June this year. We know that's what's in our premises. Stock-wise? Yes. Yeah. What have they offered you again? Well, they have offered us, we had two, we, obviously we get the statutory redundancy and they came back and offered us one million, which was a day's pay for every person that walked in there. That's so right. I one million for all. Walking, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a little over 
a thousand euros I was being offered from KPMG as a sweetener to walk away. So a thousand plus and statutory. Plus statutory, yeah. And how long are you there? Thirty years since last year. A thousand euro that's a great example actually. One thousand euro for thirty years of service. Yeah, yeah. Good God almighty. Disgrace me. Disgrace. Okay, so there's a truck on the way. You won't allow the truck in, or you'll ask no. the truck not to go in. KPMG we're will. will I was in in the country not to pass any to pick it me. That we're all workers. It could be a dusty day, but it could be someone else. I know, but I'm, I'm I'm just trying to work out what could possibly happen today if KPMG oh, yeah. asked the guardy to do their duty and enforce the law. Oh yeah, it's just, it is going to happen. It has to happen because it's law and it's an injunction. We're well aware of it. We've had meetings here for the past weekend and we've discussed it all with everyone and they're all well aware of it. And they would understand because it's not even us at this stage we're fighting for it's the generations coming up along that we should be standing here for, for six months and then can we walk away from it? No. We feel too strong on this. So a disappointing day today then, yeah? Well, we were 85% then and we knew they were going to get it, Neil. You know, as you say, we've been educated about these things now in the last couple of days and you never go for an injunction seeing this you know it's a straight line you will get it if you go for it let's see what the coming hours do then what happens shall we yeah and are you, are you aware that people are still buying debenhams online online yeah we are because we were told twice in the high court neil and um, by kpmg and the directors of debenhams ireland that the online business belonged to debenhams ireland which earned thirty million in two thousand and eighteen, but certainly on the third occasion in the High Court, it was not ours anymore. Debenhams UK were taking it over, okay. and we've asked and asked the people in power to find out how twice it can be ours, and then suddenly Debenhams UK states theirs. But would you be asking people not to buy Debenhams online? Oh yes, that's why we have to buy the broadcast Debenhams, and we know people have stopped buying them because I mean people know us obviously in the streets in Cork and stuff like that, and we we've asked people and we. We're asking people, even coming up to Christmas, don't buy it because the money's going to the UK. And if the guards come along because you're in breach of the injunction and they say, move on, will you move on? No. And then no. if they say you'll be arrested, will you move on then? No. And if they arrest no. you then, will you go quietly? We will we'll go quietly, we'll be peaceful. But it'll be 30 of us go, it'll be all or nothing. The 30 of us here today... And we're all women, actually, here today. There's 30 of us and we're willing to go. And we probably will have to go to the High Court in Dublin. We've been told that as well because that's where the court is. So you you will willingly be, you'll allow yourself to be arrested and taken away by the guards? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, and you're expecting, you're expecting something in the next couple of hours, are you? Yeah, definitely. Okay, all right. Thanks, Madeline. Oh, Thanks, Madeline. Thanks so much. Take care for now. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Back Bye. after the break. Text 0868104106. Do a lipa break my heart. Let's. Uh, well, we certainly won't be breaking Nicola O'Shea's heart. Might make it jump a bit. Nicola, good morning. <laughs> good morning. How are you? You're fast on the phone dial. In fairness, yeah. Oh, I was calling her one and five yesterday <laughs> on Dave Max show. You gotta keep trying, just keep on trying. Where are you calling from? <laughs> I haven't gotten far ahead. All right, so a two-night bed and breakfast stay for you and who? Um, you know what, now my mum is 60 in three weeks' time on Halloween day. So I reckon I'm going to treat my treat my mum and oh, give her the night away. It's going to be lovely. Well, you have it one for yourself and your mum. So happy birthday from mum! But will we find out where? 
can't wait. You see, the great thing about this, actually, is that you don't have to travel far. The whole idea of take a break for Cork's sake is you stay in Cork, but you have a change of scenery, and you're totally pampered and spoiled by a hotel on Leaside. So, two nights bed and breakfast. Shall we reveal all... Here we go. Definitely. Congratulations. You've just won Red FM's Take a Break for Cork's Sake. My name is Owen Daly and I'm the general manager of the Address Cork Hotel. Congratulations on winning Red FM's Take a Break for Cork's Sake. And we can't wait to check you in for your two-night stay where we promise to make it a memorable one for you. And we hope that you get to go out in a boat and enjoy being in the greatest place in the world. Cork. Oh, <laughs> Do you know where that brilliant. is, the address? I actually haven't been in there since they turned over from the ambassador. It's so the most beautiful. Oh my God. It's just the most beautiful hotel. And they've done a big Cork. refurb there in a fabulous old building. So congratulations. What's I'm ma'am's name? Absolutely delighted. Christine O'Shea. Get on the phone and tell her that Christine and Nicola are off to be addressed for two nights on a weekend or a weekday. A couple Thanks of weekdays so of your much. choice. You're welcome. Take care, Nicola. Thank you. Bye. Cheers. Bye bye. Take a break for Cork's sake. Continues right across the the week. Uh, our lines are open at one 104 106 You can text 868 106 Before I run rapidly out of time, one of the other things, of course, that I've been talking about this week is an opportunity to win for yourself a beautiful bespoke piece of art. We'll, have given, we'll give it away on Friday. Chris O'Hara, the artist, has given us a large bespoke abstract art piece, custom made for you, um, and uh, very, very popular, his art, actually. Uh, but to make it a little bit more interesting, this is based on audio clues, all right? So you listen Listen to this piece of audio and it should be able to tell you the name of the artist and also uh, the actual name of the piece itself. So there's a lot going on in this clip, but I think it should be okay. I think it'll be all right with it. Have a listen. Abstract clue, as I say. I'll say nothing about it because I'll be interested to see how many people get it right. One eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Get dialing on that. Uh, Neil, don't make me laugh, will you, boy? Guards at county bounds. I heard you say someone I know told me of a man they knew who drove down from Northern Ireland last Friday and was out shopping in Skibbereen on Saturday. It is a disgrace. Everyone thinks it's okay for them to do whatever they like. Well, it's not. But also, what does it say about the checkpoints or lack of them or the amount of checkpoints or guards that stopped him or her and tried to convince him or her to turn back? Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.